Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A friend told me she refuses to watch Keanu Reeves movies because it annoys her when he says, Whoa. My response? Whoa. My name is Justin Hamilton and you're entering the Keanu safe space known as Big Squid. Fun show for you today as Ben Elwood and I have a spirited conversation about the prestige where we totally agree and disagree at the same time. What could that mean? I won't spoil it now. You'll hear soon enough. I also have my pal comedian Rebecca Melrose joining me and she shares with us a delightfully weird hobby that revolves around sporting trophies that don't belong to her. I think there's a fun idea revolving around these trophies and you can hear me starting to think my way through it while we chat. You never know it might turn into a new segment for us. Before we delve into our first subject, though, some information on the Big Squid live show. We've moved the date to the 3rd of October, just to give me a little extra time to put it all together for you. We're still at the new Giant Dwarf, and we're going to keep tickets as cheap as possible while also maintaining social distance rules. The guests will include Richard Feidler talking about his new novel, The Golden Maze, Ben Elwood and I comparing Tenant to Cats, musician Georgia Mooney providing music and talking about her love of Joni Mitchell, Beck Dayunamuno talking impro, and then Rebecca Melrose with her new segment. Also, Cal Wilson's Adele will be sharing her thoughts on everyone from her confines in Melbourne. I'll share more details with you over the next few podcasts, but lock in the 3rd of October in your diary, and for friends interstate and overseas, we'll have it streaming online for you to enjoy as well. I'll post a link to the event at the Big Squid Facebook page for your easy access. Let's kick off with our first topic, which is a review of the new David Bowie release, a live concert from 1999 called Something in the Air. Imagine here in the cosy confines of 2020 that there was a period of time when David Bowie wasn't considered cool. 
The 90s were particularly rough for Bowie after he lost his way in the mid-80s with mainstream success, essentially blunting his natural instincts. As Bowie has said himself, he went from having an audience that listened to Iggy Pop and Lou Reed to fans that liked Rod Stewart and Phil Collins. For a while, he attempted to placate this broad audience, and by the time the end of the decade was upon us, Bowie had stepped back from the limelight and hid within the rock band Tin Machine, a band that was straightforward and allowed him to get back to basics. The 90s were a mixed bag for Bowie, but an important decade as he slowly returned to the type of music he wanted to make. The uneven Black Tie White Noise album showed a lot of promise and had some songs in it that kind of suggested where he was about to go and where his interests lay. The underrated soundtrack to the TV series The Buddha of Suburbia played with music that had textures and sounds that were reminiscent of his Berlin period. He then teamed back up with Brian Eno and released one of my favourite albums, number one, Outside. I know that album has a lot of detractors, but this was Bowie doing whatever he wanted within a high-concept, non-linear, gothic, industrial rocker that was unsettling yet also contains Bowie's oblique sense of humour. Bowie had intended to release four more albums that would complete the outside journey, taking us up to the turn of the century. But instead, he followed it up with the rock album Earthling, which was inspired by his touring the festival scenes with bands like Nine Inch Nails and Prodigy. Often referred to as his drum and bass album, that's not quite correct. It's more a rock album. It just kind of uses aspects of drum and bass to give it a different type of sound. Personally, I was keen for the continuation of the outside concept, but instead he closed the millennium out with the gentle album Hours, a contemplative and reflective collection of songs. I'll break down that album in a future Big Squid. I have a lot to say about that album. It's it's one that really took me a while to come around to. But suffice to say, the album received mostly good reviews and some okay sales. Yet here's the thing, the mood on Bowie was still negative, especially in the UK press. Music website Pitchfork wrote in October 1999, For a lot of kids, David Bowie is a guy that's never been remotely cool, let alone taken seriously. NME would often take shots at Bowie, and in a 1995 Time Out interview, he was actually asked if it hurt his feelings to be called a pretentious tosser. Even his press officer at the time couldn't give away tickets to journalists for a BBC radio theatre show where Bowie told stories between some of his greatest hits. What people didn't realise though was the tide was slowly turning and new fans were being made and old fans were being brought back. This new album, Something in the Air, captures one of the seven shows Bowie performed in 99 and you can hear how comfortable and confident he is regardless of what the mainstream press thought of him. He had finally returned to the place he'd always felt most comfortable as an artist, and you can hear it in the way he thanks Mike Garson after the beautiful opening of Life on Mars, or the playful introduction he gives Can't Help Thinking About Me, the first song he wrote under the name David Bowie way back in 1966. Brand new songs at the time, like Thursday's Child and Survive, stand alongside the beauty of Word on a Wing and the crowd-pleasing China Girl. I love the title song though, Something in the Air. That was my favourite song on Hours. Bowie described the song as the most tragic on the album, and you can hear it in the live performance, even more so. 
It is a song about the end of a relationship where the narrator once loved his partner but is now an unbeliever. Lyrics sound like they have double meanings and double down on what they actually are saying, such as the moment when Bowie sings, Your hat and coat are gone, but the way he expresses himself, it sounds like he is singing, You're cold and had a gun. It hints at a greater issue, an exhaustion with the world, an inability to find happiness in the past, and a knowledge that the future is devoid of hope. You can understand why Christopher Nolan used this particular song to close his movie Memento. This is a song that exists in the moment and expresses the feelings of a person who no longer knows which direction their life is heading. Don't think the album is all doom and gloom though. As I said earlier, Bowie sounds comfortable and playful. He obviously loves his band and enjoys the back and forth with the French audience. This is part of the journey that Bowie started toward the end of the 80s, as he returned to his rightful place in the music and cultural milieu. This is the moment where we lead into his triumphant return at Glastonbury, the moment when everyone remembered, oh, that's right, he's one of the greatest who ever existed. If you want to get a little bit more insight into that journey, then I can't stress enough you should stream something in the air on Spotify or Apple Music. Because if you're a fan or even Bowie curious, this is a gem of an album that is worth experiencing. Before I bring in Beck Melrose, you'll hear us chat about her love of other people's trophies. I'm giving you a heads up on this because I want you to think about it. The idea of this has made me laugh a lot since we've hung out. It was something that she brought up in passing and I thought it was hilarious. And so I wanted to talk about it on the podcast and, and while we were recording... I started playing around with the idea that it could possibly be a new segment. So much so that I've just decided it's going to be in the live show and we'll workshop it right there for you to see in real time. And the idea is maybe we'll present one of our guests with a trophy that they're not expecting and then they have to improvise to us the story behind that trophy and the incredible career that they had in whatever sport we throw their direction feels like a segment, right? It kind of even feels like it could potentially be a fun live show. Trophy night. That's what I'm kind of thinking with this. So rather than talk about it off air, I started thinking about it while we were chatting and then had a little play around with it. And now I'm keen to know what your thoughts are. Go over to our Facebook page and share your ideas, share your thoughts, and let's kind of workshop this and turn it into something that you might have fun listening to. For those of you who don't know Beck, I was lucky enough to host her Raw Comedy semi-final a few years ago, and I thought she was hilarious on that night. And then she not only went on to win the semi, but she went all the way to the final in Melbourne and won the national competition. We stayed in touch since and have been working together whenever we can. This is her first time on the podcast, so I hope you enjoy her company as much as I do. I haven't seen you since the pandemic kicked in, have I? No, I think the last time we caught up was um, your trial, your trial show. Oh, yeah, right. Oh, my God. That yeah, feels... Which feels like a world away, right? That is insane because <laughs> now that you mention it, yeah, that was 
the last time I saw you and for, for everyone listening, you poor thing, you came along to watch it and then I asked you if you could just read some parts out <laughs> yeah. and you ended up actually being part of the show, playing, uh, I think you were playing the part of the monkey, weren't you, for, for I the was, play? yeah. What an experience. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. And uh, Loved it. <laughs> but uh, that feels, that honestly feels like about three years ago. But that was what? January? February. February. Wow. So much and nothing has happened in between then. That is a perfect summation of what has occurred in the ensuing months. Like, even the Adelaide Fringe to me feels like it was a, a separate lifetime ago where I was a oh, completely sure. different person. What was the, what's been the weirdest thing that's happened to you during the lockdown? I think just getting used to slowing down. Like, I, I didn't realise how busy my life was until I couldn't do anything anymore. Um, and I'm suddenly getting tired just doing normal stuff. <laughs> so it, it's been really interesting, but um, yeah, it's also been, like, the first couple of months, you know, you don't want to say it because it, it's a pandemic and it's horrible, but it was kind of good to have a bit of a break for a little bit there. Just slow down, reevaluate. Uh, but I got over that pretty quickly. Right, yeah. And then uh, that was uh, Monday, and by the Thursday you were thinking, let's do something. All right, let's go out. I miss Larksa and dumplings. And my friends and family. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, it goes without saying, right? But mainly dumplings. <laughs> it's Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but it is one of those things where I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that the enforced slowdown was necessarily a bad thing, and it's actually a reminder to take time out and not do anything and and sort of recalibrate who you are. So I, th- I actually think that's yeah. a good thing. It's just it's a shame that it took a pandemic for us to all remember that and realise it. Yeah, it did. Um, but it's been really nice. And I think a lot of people have been quite introspective and reevaluating their choices and their priorities. And it's been nice. There's been some really deep conversations people are having as a result of it. So, yeah, you're right. I guess it's, it's, there's nothing wrong with the slowdown. It is just a shame that the circumstances had to be a pandemic. <laughs> It's just one of those things where we have to remember, like when things go back to normal, still take some time out. It's like the doctors have been reporting that there are less uh, cases of like the flu and colds. And that's because people are wearing masks and they're not going to work when they're sick. (laughs) And it's like, well, that's something to remember. Like next time you do have a cold. Don't go to your workplace. It's yeah. actually the right thing to do. We just never did it. My cousin was talking about that. She was saying um, early in the pandemic in Hong Kong that they'd had, they'd almost eliminated seasonal flu and it was just purely people doing the right thing, not being grubs. But we just go out. Like I'm so, so used to just going out with a sniffle or a cold. It's just so commonplace. Well, that's why you normally get sick during a comedy festival because yeah. especially the Melbourne Comedy Festival, I'm, I, every second year I get sick. And and you think, what well, what is happening here? And you suddenly go, well, I'm hanging out with a lot of people who are also having late nights, and so there's that. But because it's always around April and people are starting to get sick for the first time and you're standing on stage and there's a whole lot of people facing you and if a few of them are sick, you've got laughter germs <laughs> coming straight at yeah, your face. Exactly. And, and then suddenly you're losing your voice and you got the chills and you then you're still going to do gigs. And, like, I remember there was, like, like I've done seasons where I've decided that it'd be fun to greet everyone at the door and shake in everyone's hands. Yeah, right. <laughs> that won't be happening again. No. <laughs> you don't think about this stuff, but, yeah, why am I getting sick after having four hours sleep and drinking beer and eating pizza for a straight month? Hmm. 
hmm, wonder why. I can't work it out. <laughs> I can't work it out. I blame the audience. Yes. And have you yeah. noticed anything with yourself, like with the, the lockdown, anything weird that's happened? Because uh, I'll share you, with you mine just to give you an example. I went and got uh, just a health check. Uh, because uh, because I don't know my father and I don't know that side of my family. As you get older, you've got to try and keep on top of things because there's a whole side that you don't know about. Yeah. And my sugar levels and cholesterol were through the roof and like the highest they've ever been. And my doctor and I, we just couldn't work out because I was walking 10Ks every day. I was, you know, I was, I was doing uh, yoga with Adrienne on YouTube. Oh, I like I was. It. I was keeping myself pretty fit and tidy. And then we worked out what it was, which is it's probably, in all honesty, been a 30, 35 years since I would eat dinner and then not go anywhere. So mm. normally you have I would eat dinner and I'd always eat it relatively early because then I would go out and I'd walk to a gig or I'd walk to a friend's house or I'd go and do something. But during the pandemic... I would eat dinner, I'd eat it a little bit later, I'd eat the normal sizes that I'd eat, and I'd walk from that table on my left to the lounge. Yeah. And that was and then <laughs> you go to bed far. with a right, with a full stomach. And so I've had to change the way I approach my meals and I've had to go kinda Amish and Ooh. go big early. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then graze at night. So I was wondering, has there been anything that's kind of uh, cropped up for you that's uh, taken you by surprise? Oh, so many things, but that reminds me that one thing that was a big surprise for me was cooking because I didn't realize, but since I've been doing stand up, you're out almost every single night. And mm. there was a point where I hadn't had a home cooked meal. This was last year for months. And right. I had a soup when I went to Tassie to do a gig. Um, this wonderful woman who runs the room made a soup because she said people come from Sydney expecting things are going to be open in Hobart after they finish the gig and they're not. And I had this amazing home-cooked meal and it was the first I'd had in months and months and months. So being home all the time, I've had to kind of reteach myself how to cook and think about what do I want to eat? Like, where do I start? Because I'm just so used to eating out on the run with doing gigs all the time. So... I mean, teaching myself how to cook. Oh, have you? What, what have you been uh, learning? Have you started? Uh, are you one of these people who's taken up baking and suddenly making banana bread, etc.? My oven's shit anyway. Living in a share house with an oven where the the heat escapes, baking is not on. We get quiches with like a burnt bottom and an undercooked top. That's pretty much the limit of our baking. But it's just simple stuff. I'm just I get to dinner time and I'm like, oh, that's right. I'm going to be having to take care of myself tonight. What am I going to eat? And how many people are in your house? Uh, well, now I'm back. I'm living with my parents and also with my boyfriend split between two houses because we, of course, got moved out during the pandemic like everybody did. So, um, yeah, that's been kind of good too. being back home with my folks has been awesome. Don't have to think about cooking there. Oh, that's really helpful, isn't it? How long has <laughs> it been since you lived with your parents? Oh, God, five years. Six years. And is there anything that you've noticed since you've moved back in that they do now that you think, oh, that's a that's a new little wrinkle in their life that they didn't have before? I don't think so. I think it's more me, to be honest, because you just develop all these right. weird habits living with different people. So going back home, you're like, oh, that's right. I'm a, I'm a grown-ass woman now. <laughs> I do these things for myself. <laughs> Put that on a card. I'm yeah. a grown-ass woman. And so uh, what have you been uh, consuming? Have you been watching anything or have you been listening to music or what have you been doing to, to fill the days when you're not performing heaps it's actually been great because aside from cooking the other thing you don't get time to do when you're gigging all the time is um watch stuff 
So Seinfeld's something that I had never watched and I just kind of thought, well, the time's passed. I'm going to be busy for the rest of my life. It's probably something I'm never going to watch. Um, and, and starting to try and write my own ideas for shows, people get viscerally angry when they find out you haven't watched Seinfeld. You, you can't write your own stuff until you've watched Seinfeld. So um, I got into that. But that is a show that people get angry about, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely outraged when they you, they find out you haven't watched an episode. But it's been interesting starting to watch that now. Um, and the other thing, just all nostalgia stuff, all my favourite Will Ferrell movies, Adam Sandler movies, all the, the silly classics that I watch all the time. Bit of comfort yeah. watching. Oh, yeah, I get the comfort watching. But before we move on from Seinfeld, what, have you watched all of it or where are you up to? I think I'm up to start of season four now. Um, marine biology episode rocked my world. So good. Right. <laughs> so good. And are you, I'm, I'm curious, are you kind of watching it and looking at certain aspects of it and finding that it reminds you of other TV shows that were influenced by it? And I, as an example, when I went back and rewatched Pulp Fiction not that long ago, I found it a little bit slow and I was like, God, this just kind of feels like heaps of other movies. And then you remember, oh, that's right. No, this is the movie that influenced all these other movies. And all these other films kind of ripped off its structure or were inspired by the way it was put together. And Seinfeld had a big influence as well. So have you seen sort of aspects of that where you're thinking, ah, this feels like I've seen it before, but forgetting that it started at this uh, particular show? Oh, for sure. Well, I think for me, when I started watching Seinfeld, I was like, oh my goodness, that's the guy from Jurassic Park. And I had to be reminded, no, actually, that's the guy from Seinfeld. <laughs> uh, but it's it, it's definitely the structure of um, Seinfeld is repeated everywhere, right? Like watching it and kind of seeing how it builds to an act break, something happens, and then you come yeah. back, the characters have got another challenge. So it's really interesting watching it and seeing how... Um, other TV shows have just taken that really successful structure and applied another narrative to it. Um, yeah. Yeah, that part of it. I think kind of watching it in, with an analytical brain has been really interesting. And do you have a, a character that you gravitate towards or oh, do you kind of like them equally? Yeah, kind of equally. They're all lovable and, and hateable in, in, <laughs> in wonderful ways as well. Um, I love Elaine. I, I just think it's, it's so awesome watching... Um, uh, a woman character in that kind of uh, situation just absolutely own it as well. She's so funny, incredibly funny, and a brilliant yeah, she's performer. she's really funny. Yeah, yeah, and has been brilliant for a long time as well, and it's so kind of great to see uh, Julia have all that success with Veep and, and uh, you know, the movies that she's appeared in. You go, yeah, she's a super, super talent. And she reminds me, I, I don't know anyone specifically like Elaine, but there are aspects of Elaine that remind me of about half a dozen of my friends that I grew up with at the time, especially the, uh, specifically the, the, the punching. <laughs> yeah, I love that. The violent outbursts. It's fabulous. <laughs> I've got the punchy friend who <laughs> finds something really hilarious and then your reward for making them laugh is not being able to use your arm for the next 27 <laughs> minutes while you get some feeling back into it. Oh, that's how you know you've made a good joke. Well, yeah, that's uh, it always has you a little bit, nah, maybe, you know what, maybe I'll keep this one to myself <laughs> and leave some uh, feeling in my arms for a while. Uh, what's uh, what's your Will Ferrell go-to? Oh, all of them, to be honest, but um, I love... My favourite all-time Will Ferrell is Semi-Pro. I love Blades oh. of Glory as well, but, but Semi-Pro is, has got to be my fave. I love that one. 
That's so funny that you say that because I was literally about to say my favourite is probably nobody else's favourite yeah, and it's semi-pro. Yeah. No one likes it. I don't understand. It's so good. I think it's really funny as well. I'm, look, I'm the first to concede that sometimes there's just movies that I can see why people wouldn't like them, but all the ingredients are there for me. That's how I'm feeling about the new Christopher Nolan movie. I can oh. understand people not getting into it, but there are all the ingredients in that film feel like they have been, oh, do you want a bit of this? Yes, I do. Do you want a bit of that? I do. How about this? Yes, please. And I'm wrapped. And semi-pro, because I'm a a fan of basketball, and I also have read a lot about that offshoot of the NBA, which was the ABA, which (laughs) they play in, I already knew the absurdity of that world, and then to have him extrapolate upon it. But also, it's him, you know... With with the hair, the 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 hit song era, it's it's all the there. Era. Being attacked by the bear oh, is yeah. funny. It's just really good. It's a really funny film. Oh, and the line in it, um, ELE, everybody love everybody. I'm like, that's just a life <laughs> mantra, isn't it? It's so good. It's got <laughs> everything. But he's saying it aggressively as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a ring too. Mine says love. <laughs> On an old podcast that I used to host with uh, Peter Hellier called uh, Hellier and Hamo Dig Flicks, we had an opportunity to interview Will Ferrell. Oh, and what? he was adorable as well. Like, you know when you meet someone and you go, oh, this is, this is so good because if you even – because you're funny and, and I want to like you and then you hang out and he's kind of quite gentle and and really into the conversation as well, which is so That's impressive because you figure he is doing nothing but interviews. And I talked to him about Old School and how like, Old School was the movie that made me fall in love with Will, Will Ferrell. And it was specifically the scene where he's singing at Blue's oh, funeral. funeral. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> it's so funny. And I, I, I was saying to him, when you start singing... I immediately thought the first time I saw it, he's a bit too high. In yeah. like, where's he going to go with this? And then he can't hit those notes. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know how to explain how that's funny. That's just funny to me. And that from that moment on, I was a big fan. And I said this to him, and he was like, "Oh yeah, thanks." You know what? Blue. He was like eighty nine. We're like four in the morning, and I'm just screaming in his face. And I'm thinking, "What's happened to my career?" And I'm like. <laughs> That is exactly the response I want from Will Ferrell. This is fantastic. Oh, that was a belter of a movie too. I love the bit at the end when he does the ribbon dance. And again, I can't explain why it's funny, but he does like a little split leap and every time it just crushes me. It's so, so funny. Sometimes funny is just funny and there's no point in trying to... Don't don't try to work it out. No. Just just enjoy it. I think that's what that's kind of the hardest thing about being a comedian, isn't it? Is that you kind of start to look at things a little bit too analytically to try and work out stuff rather than letting yeah. it just wash over you and just be funny in the moment. Yeah, it definitely busts the funny. The more you think about it, you can't sometimes you just can't explain why something's funny. Um, yeah. Or why why a certain word is funnier than another word? I find that often. I'll swap out a word and I'll think, "Gee, why is that so much funnier now? It's the same premise, it's the same punchline, it's just a new word and it lifts it in a different direction." Very scientific. It, it, they're the great conversations, aren't they? Uh, I've got this routine. What should I say? Should I say finish it with squirrel or possum? Yeah. <laughs> <And then> you- <laughs> like squirrel, squirrel. I don't know. The squirt is it's a funnier sound. <laughs> 
Yeah, and then they're, they're, they're legitimate conversations yeah. that you have with other people or with yourself. And Love it. that's when you realise that this job is fun and we should lean into the fun side of it a little bit more. Have you done any gigs? Uh, the last couple of weeks I've been I'm getting into doing some live performance again and I have had an absolute ball and it feels like the crowds are just so up for it. I think the fact that we've all had this kind of forced break Everyone's really yeah. keen to go out and have a good time. And, yeah, I've been having a blast but doing some live performance again. Are you doing new material or are you easing in with stuff that you know? Uh, easing in with stuff that I know for now. I've got some new stuff, but um, I have to say I've realised in the pandemic that uh, I was really keen. I was like, I'll start writing. I'll write a new show. Um, start writing some TV episodes. And uh, it's not conducive to creativity for me, this kind of locked in, not being outside you know, stimulated by different things. So I haven't done much new material. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? The first gig that I did was at uh, Giant Dwarf and the I don't know if you had the same experience, but everyone behind the scenes was pretty much having the same conversation, which is, what is comedy now? What is comedy going to be in a post-pandemic world? And then we all did our gig and it turned out it's exactly what it's it was the before. Same. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same. You, just be funny however you want to be funny. And it was... Uh, the night that I was on, it was real 50-50. Some people not mentioning the pandemic at all. And then yeah. some people doing nothing but talk about the pandemic. And the only thing any of it had in common was jokes. Yeah. And and that's fine. Yeah. And, and that's the other thing. You're right. Everyone backstage when I started performing was, do we talk about it? Do we not? Is it the MC's job and nobody else is allowed to talk about it? But it just kind of naturally worked itself out. And people are keen to laugh at the situation that we've been in as much as they're keen to forget about it. So I think it's just kind of, we were a bit neurotic about um, going back to live performance, but it just seems to be working itself out, I think. Comedians being neurotic. I know. Sounds... What are the chances? <laughs> I know. Hard to get your head around, right? And I wanted to have you on the podcast as well, because I, I'm curious if we can... We've been talking about this for a while, and I I feel like we can develop this into something. And uh, But it was probably about 18 months ago that you told me uh, your little thing that you do with your sister yeah. and do you want to share it with everyone because it's your thing I want you to explain to the people uh, what you like to do <laughs> this started a long time ago for us probably 15 years ago we were walking home right. from uh, Ingerdine station and it was council clean up and we started walking past all these households that were throwing out their trophies and for me as a young kid I didn't achieve much uh, but my family's very um I'd say I'd say we're glory adjacent. <laughs> We've had a lot of near misses. Uh, I had an uncle who beat Cadell Evans in a downhill mountain bike race, which was pretty good. It's not his strong right. suit, but we we hadn't done much, and uh, it just astounded me that something that I would have treasured so much as winning a trophy for a sport was just out on the sidewalk. So one day um, we just decided to bring them home. So we boxed them up, started walking home. We had a whole box from one household where. Somebody in their household, just every sport you can imagine, they'd got a trophy in and um, took them home. And, and my sister had all her gymnastics trophies and I just started putting up Greg Marshall, David Davidson. Uh, every week I'd just put up a new new achievement and um, it takes a lot of pressure off having somebody else's achievements around your house, that's for sure. <laughs> I never really thought of it that way. Yeah. It's like they've done all the hard work and you get the trophy. Yeah, this is I fantastic. Get the what everyone's in it for right just the trophy well that's it exactly there is something <laughs> a little bit sad about people just you know throwing their trophies out like I don't I have a lot of basketball trophies but they're at mum's house 
in a box you got to keep somewhere. them somewhere yeah I, I can't like i might not have them out you know saying oh look at look at this st Clair division one club basketball <laughs> trophy but throwing it out seems like a big deal it feels like a, a big and emotional release i guess i don't know how i feel about it so it's, it's a weird concept for me i think it's smug i feel like you know you throw out your under 12s oz tag trophy and it's like you're confident there's going to be something better in the future. I don't know about that. Hold on to it. What if that's it? What if you've peaked at under-12s Oztag? It's a risky move. Now, when you put it that way, I'm now thinking maybe I should get that Division One St. <laughs> Clair Club basketball trophy and bring it back. That may have been my peak right there. And uh, you, do you have a couple of uh, trophies with you that we can uh, have a look at? And then I want to extrapolate what your career might have been in the, for, for that trophy. So what, what do you have there? Yeah, look, I've got one that's a netball one, um, which is pretty close to my heart because I did play netball, but I was um, in the disposable position of wing defence, which was basically the position you dropped if somebody was too hungover to play. So uh, this one's a bit of a sore spot for me, but it's a nice one to have up on the wall. And what division is it? What age group? Uh, This one's a 15s. And uh, so it would have been right about the time that I was playing uh, and, and, and coaching, actually. I coached a nursery squad around that time, too. Um, and it's a best and fairest, so the the best thing you can win. Yeah, absolutely. How old are you when you get this trophy? Oh, 14, I reckon. 14. Yeah. And and you reckon you were the best and fairest that year? Putting myself in the shoes of the, the 14-year-old woman who's got this trophy, I don't think she was the best and fairest. I feel like it was a bit of a popularity vote at the time. Um, I think oh. there's probably somebody else on the squad who was best and fairest, and there's probably a bit of beef behind the scenes, I'd say. What do you reckon? Do you reckon it's the parents? Like, it's the parents, the coach, and therefore they've handed the award to their daughter? It always is, isn't it? There's, right. It's never straight. It's never the best and fairest. It's it's never the real winner. It's There's always politics. What position did she play? Uh, I'd say goalkeeper. Goalkeeper, yeah. 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 Respectable yeah. position. Who do you think was the best player and what position did she play? I'm going to say wing attack. Uh, I think wing attack, you've got to be you've got to be great at defence. You've got to be great at attack. You've got to be an all-round support player. You've got to keep those nails short. I feel like the wing attack's always there for everybody and uh, overlooked as a position. You know, it's all, it's all the glory ones. The ones in the circle are the ones that get the glory. And I think uh, that the midfield... Do you even call it midfield? I did play netball. I don't even remember. But the mid the midfield gets forgotten. You can tell I was a very good net, netballer. I love it. I love the I love the idea of just finding trophies and and taking them. And we should do something more with it. I think. I feel like we should. Maybe what we could do is with extra guests on on this podcast. We can present them with a trophy, and they have to tell us what their career was and why they won that trophy and we can uh, add all these stories to all the trophies that you have. I love the specificity around the event too, like really being able to drill down on what was happening for you that day, what else was going on, what was in the news at the time, you know, were you inspired by the 96 Olympics, what was happening? That's good fun. What music were you listening to? What was your relationship status, you know, (laughs) what was your diet, who was your nemesis? Everyone has to have a nemesis, right? Absolutely, there's always a sporting nemesis. I think it's a fun idea. I think it's a really fun idea as well. Well, let's uh, let's keep building on this idea. I feel like, you know who I think would be great to give a trophy to is Cal Wilson. Oh, yes. She'd be fantastic. Well, she's so funny. And if we just presented her with a trophy and said, 
tell us a story behind that, well, I figure I won't have much to work to do for that podcast because no. she'll be fantastic and I can just sit there and laugh. <laughs> Well, come back on the podcast. Let's uh, do some more stuff with uh, your trophies. And in the meantime, where can people find you? Uh, I'm on Instagram. My handle is at Beck Melrose. And that's about it at the moment. I'm not very active on social media. (laughs) Yeah. I'm pretty lucky. I feel like I think sometimes for your social media to work for you, you have to kind of not do uh, something that has a high profile that brings in an audience that doesn't really understand you so as an example i remember uh, a woman getting stuck into eddie perfect on on twitter because he was being too political and i was thinking it's eddie perfect of, of course he's being political eddie's always been political like why are you getting upset and then when he was kind of going back and forth with her and he's being really polite about it but he was sort of saying hey this is who i am and if you don't want to read this and she then just kind of dropped a comment like just sing like you do on Offspring. And it's like, oh, so you've seen him on Offspring, thought, oh, I'll follow him, and then gone, oh, he is, lo and behold, nothing like the character on that mainstream TV show. (laughs) He's a really edgy guy. He's political. And so I think when you don't... If you're... You want to do stuff that's high profile, but you also don't want to do stuff that brings in your wrong audience. See, I'm lucky I've done, for the most part, things like... Hoovians. So I just get other people who understand Tenet completely. Yeah. So that's great. I'm really happy with my audience. I don't need the extras. <laughs> this is good. We're all on the same wavelength. <laughs> Let's turn to London at the end of the 19th century and watch as two rival magicians read each other's diaries to learn the secrets of their greatest tricks. One magician is a natural performer. The other magician is a purist for his craft. Both have a weakness that they are incapable of overcoming and that is their fierce desire to prove themselves better than their rival. They will do whatever they can to win, but their blind dedication to their craft will destroy not only the lives of the people around them, but also be the inspiration for their own downfall. This is a world where the illusion of magic will compete with the progress of science, until in the end, only one magician will be left standing. It is time to take a closer look at Christopher Nolan's The Prestige. Show me. Come on. No, I can't. Do it! How'd you like that? How'd you do it? Magic. I'll perform this feat in a manner never before seen by yourselves or any other audience anywhere in the world. The audience loved it. This trick is top-notch. need to celebrate. A real magician tries to invent something new. It's something that other magicians will scratch their heads over. I suppose you have such a trick. Yes, you do. It's the one they're going to remember me for. What happened? It was the greatest magic trick I've ever seen. So as I do for every one of these podcasts, I mm. rewatch the movie and I try to break things down into different ways to talk about it because it is Nolan and lots of people have talked about his stuff you know so I try to find new angles for people and new interesting ways to look at the movie Mm. 
But before we get to any of that, <laughs> we had just the briefest of chats before we were sitting down, mm-hmm. and you said something that I thought was great. I was really excited oh, by it. Tell me. What and, did I say that was great? Well, <laughs> why don't you tell me exactly what you said, well, were about to say, that you think of this film? Uh, so... I am one of the rare people, because I know that uh, The Prestige is considered kind of like a lost Nolan classic, or at least an underrated Nolan classic. Yeah, it's like one of those, like if you're a true fan, yes. you know, it's like, yep. I love the Beatles, how good is Sergeant Purpose? Yeah, man, yeah, but how yeah. good's Revolver? <laughs> you know, it's, it's his Revolver. Yeah, where's your true credibility? Um, I do not like this movie. You don't like it? I don't think I like it, Justin. Yeah, right. And I was very anxious coming into this conversation. No, no, no. It's good. <laughs> I was like, oh, God, I'm going to get the fucking death eye. No. No, no, no. I have tried this. I've probably watched this movie four or five times since it came out. Yeah. And that's I, a That's a good effort for a movie that you maybe didn't like. So, no, actually, before you go into it, what was your first take when you first saw it at the cinema? No. This is probably the only one I didn't see at the cinema. I watched this at the... 2011 Melbourne Comedy Festival after a terrible night of eating shit on stage and then I went to my room and watched this on my laptop. Oh, well, that (laughs) is like... You have just... Like somewhere Christopher Nolan has just caught on fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) Spontaneously combusted. The the, the man who (laughs) wants to release Tenet at the cinemas for the cinema experience is thinking, why did you do that to my movie? Come on, it was through shitty, tinny little laptop speakers. Yeah, yeah, definitely not. Ironically, I think that was the time I enjoyed it the most. Because I was enjoying all the twisty-turny kind of like, whoa, what's happening? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just... Look... It's got heaps of meat on the bone, and we've talked about Westworld in the past. I don't particularly like Westworld, the TV series, the TV series. Yep. But I've watched it both. Uh, I've watched season ones and two twice through, right? Because the ideas are great, right? And I love the st- you know the 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 little flights of fancy that I go off in my own head when I watch it. Yeah, but the text in of itself is leaves me feeling a little cold. And like, yeah, but you know, what? Like these guys are awful, right? Just awful people, right? Yeah, and I think the motivation that the the film is about ambition, right? Yes, yeah, and I one think, of the things it's about. Yeah, and I think uh, we were talking earlier about uh, people in the entertainment world who have that kind of at all costs mentality. I need to be the face of this art form that I love so much, and oftentimes when they get there it's still not enough. Right. Because essentially there is a vacuum in them that can never be filled. Yeah. And I think uh, I've always kind of actively blanched against that. Yeah. And I think that's what I see in the film. I see reflected back a mentality and a state of mind that I find quite uh, ugly and repellent. So funnily enough, apart from the bit that you got wrong where you said you don't like it (laughs) and I'm going to do my best to win you over. No. Yeah. Sorry, you know I... All opinion must be uniform. (laughs) It's my fucking podcast, mate. I'm in this apartment by myself. I need people to agree with me when they're sitting at my table. (laughs) Wait, wait, take two. I love the prestige, Justin. Uh, Yeah, that's great. And thank you for coming on. Um, No, but it's funny that the things that you say that you push back against, funnily enough, I have heaps of questions to throw at you that, that, t- that touch on that. Great. So yeah. I can see in many ways what you're saying is 
from what I gather, is that regardless of how well it's made mm. and the performances mm. and blah, 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 mm-hmm. the structure, mm-hmm. when it's boiled down, mm. these guys are assholes. Yeah. And fuck those guys. I would go, I would say beyond assholes, I think they're like manifestly psychotic. Yeah. Uh, and we'll get to the ending in the end, but one character gets, I would say, a happy ending, and that guy doesn't deserve a happy ending based on his actions throughout the film. Well, I do think that maybe that's not quite correct because it seems like it's a happy ending. Mm. But he's fucking lost everything in the lead up to that moment. So it's yeah. And if anything, you could say the little girl gets a happy ending. Yeah, fair enough. You know, but I see. But by the way, I do see exactly where yeah. you're coming from. But yeah, I, th- yeah, yeah. this is one of the reasons I do love this film and rewatching it once again because we're rewatching it yeah. for different angles yeah. i found uh, heaps of stuff in it that was a little bit um a little bit fascinating so can we just pause for one second yeah, just absolutely. to just to um state something i don't think that it's only that the characters are that i personally find that the characters detestable that is the only reason I don't like the movie. I can't actually quite put my finger on it because there's plenty of movies, like all that jazz. Right. It's probably my favourite movie of all time. Right. And, you know, you could say Roy Schneider's character in that movie is not a great guy. No. Very bad, like, very detestable guy. But I love that movie. So it's it's not just... And, and there's plenty of films that have unlikable protagonists that I love. Yeah. So I can't say that that's it. All right. I just don't know. I can't. Maybe through the course of this conversation, we'll figure it out. So I'm gonna. So I'm. I'm going down to mm. question number four that mm-hmm. I had mm-hmm. written mm-hmm. for you. Mm. Uh, sorry, I wasn't making eye contact, but I was trying to find this <laughs> specific question because it was off the back of what you were saying. Yep. So here it is. If you take into account the competition between the magicians, yes. the way they watch other acts that are better than them, and the way they attack big acts for being hacks. <laughs> Is this secretly a movie about the comedy scene? Fuck yeah. That's probably why I hate it so much. <laughs> like there's there's even... a reason I don't barely do comedy anymore, Justin. Yes. And this movie kind of encompasses it in a big way. So there's like there's even one point, you know, when mm. Angie has been given the sack after he when Borden tricks him into chopping off that woman's finger and oh, then yeah. they say, I'm booking a comedian. You know how I hate comedians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you do see that. Um, you do see that a lot in comedy. And I, I would assume most, you know, artistic most and yeah. probably most corporate pursuits, you know, that kind of like, you know, I need to get to the top at, the, at all costs and I don't give a fuck who I elbow in the face. And it's something that I don't think it's controversial to say that that does exist uh, in the comedy world yeah absolutely. And, um i remember the first time i realized that kind of culture existed i i, I was like it hurt my heart because when yeah. i got into comedy it was like oh, i just want to i just want to be funny on a stage and make people laugh and then all of a sudden it was like oh no there's all this machiavellian politics that goes on and different you know. faces to different people and yeah. i was never able to play that game yeah um you know and then you realize that making it in any artistic form or if you want to go outside of that, any form to make it to the very top, it actually is more than talent. 
Right. It requires a certain mentality, a certain kind of like at all costs. Yeah. You know, and I've got friends who are in comedy that are happy to sleep on any couch and live on the road 300 days a year and all that. Yeah. Uh, and that's the more benign side of it. And I was about to say, yeah. that's, a, that's a good side. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that to me was just, you know, when I went and tried to do that in London, within like a week, it was like, oh, I can't do this. Yeah. I'm a hobbit. I just want my apartment with my yeah. books and yeah. <laughs> leave me alone. I don't want to, you know, yeah. be in a car with some stranger screaming down the highway in the rain. Yeah. Like, so to realize that you you don't have that mentality and if you don't have that mentality, you probably won't make it, yeah. um, you know, is something to reckon with for sure. It's also uh, just getting back to the moment that you realize that there is this darker side to this profession that you mm. really love. And I think there's two aspects to it in keeping with the fact that this is a movie of twos. One is it does break your heart and it's really yeah. it's really disappointing the first mm. time that you hear two people that work together that you think are mates and do great stuff together on stage say awful things about yeah. each other and you go, Oh, that's yep. Yep. or it's or the person who's been getting a break from someone. Yeah. And that and that the person who's getting the break says awful things about the person giving them the break and totally. you go, Oh man, like yeah, really? Yeah, 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 but yeah. then the other aspect of it, and I think we are all guilty of this to different lengths and degrees at certain points and times in our career. But sometimes you can just get caught up in it. Oh, and you fuck can be a yeah. fucking arsehole. Absolutely. Like, you know, like I I know that yep. e- even if someone even if someone on some level has deserved my ire. Mm. If you're sitting with seven other comedians bitching about that person mm-hmm. or just not even standing up for them in some way. Mm, complicit. Well, then you're complicit and mm, that's bullying. 100%. 100%. Even if that person is a dickhead. 100%. 100 And, and, and you know, the, 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 you sometimes are doing it even though you don't really want to be participating in it. You know, I remember the first, my first Melbourne Comedy Festival, uh, I was shooting my fucking mouth off about people I hadn't even fucking met. Yeah. But it was, you know, it was a product of fear. It was a product of, you know, oh, I'll show how fucking, you know, the law of the schoolyard. I mean, so much of comedy and probably magic and all of it is the, the law of the schoolyard, you know. Yeah. Um, well, bully that guy so I don't get bullied and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, the, the, the comedy industry is made up of a whole lot of <laughs> gamma men all acting like alpha males. <laughs> Yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah, and it's it is it, it is it takes real strength of character to not get swept up in that, you know. And That's, there's been plenty of nights I've been railing, yeah. and in my own mind's eye, just going like, "What are you? You don't even care this much about this? Like, who gives a fuck? Who gives a fuck? They're just doing what they right. do, you know. You know, it's uh, you know, yeah, people like I never wanted to be jealous of the person who had the job that I didn't want. Mm. Yes. Now you might think. Yes. Like I have looked at some of my friends and thought, geez, I wish I had their version of money problems compared to my version of money mm-hmm. problems. But to have their version of money problems, I'd have to go and do breakfast radio with yep. some arsehole that makes me want to gouge my eyes out yep. with a blunt spoon. Yes. <laughs> Coming up next. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that's a hard thing to square, you know. Yeah. I mean, there's been plenty of times i found myself muttering over not getting given an opportunity or a job 
that I was never even in the mix for. Right. You know, it's like they, they were looking for a 19-year-old female comedian and I'm there, well, why wasn't it me? And it's like, yeah. because you're not that fucking person that they were looking for. Yeah. But it engenders this kind of bitterness and this why not me kind of yeah. mentality that is, that, that I think a reason for the heartbreak is, you know, all artistic pursuit at its purest is quite childlike. Right. You know, when you first want to get into it, it's like, I just want to create for the sake of creating or yeah. I want to make people laugh because it's fun to make people laugh. Yeah. Uh, and then when you enter in, there's this calcification that happens and you realize like it, it's more than that. It is, you do have to glad hand, you do glad hand, you do have to, you know, play a game. And a lot of the time the game is toxic and you don't know the rules yet. And so you just join a, a game that maybe you're not that willing to play but find yourself caught up in anyway. And not willing to play and also probably didn't really understand in the first place. No. So one of the one of the biggest shocks is that happens at some point in your career is the person who gets the high profile opportunity who can't follow an open mic or in a live room. Mm. And it turns out mm-hmm. you have to learn the lesson that sometimes Success in comedy isn't about being the funniest person in the no. room. No, in fact, I would say a lot of the, you know, more than half of the time, it has nothing to do with talent. Yeah, there was a, there was a. I remember a, a comedian from when I was younger who was like one of the greatest comics I've ever toured with, in uh, or performed with mm. in on a regular basis. Like, mm. could, could kill every room, mm-hmm. every room, mm-hmm. just a, a legend. But then when that comedian was on TV. They were too big. Mm. And so what they did on TV was if you're sitting at home with just a, a screen in front of you mm. and you're sitting on your lounge, was like, Jesus, what's going on with yep. this comedian? Yeah. You know, yeah, so yeah, you had to be in the room. But then there's other people that could not follow this person in any way. Yeah. And, but they knew how to be. Good for the television. Well, and they look good. Yeah, you know, look and, good, marketable. You know? I mean, it's 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 almost a cliche in comedy that the people that are the most revered or the most kind of whispered about that the the other comedians gather up the back to watch. Yeah, are the people who wider Australia will never fucking know oh, yeah. because they can't be you know melted down and poured into a pre-prepared mold and pushed out in front of a spotlight. And that is not an indictment on people that uh, have made it big. In this country or any other country, it's just it's an indictment of the of of um, the the structures of power being yes. what they are, and the fact that especially in Australia we have a small population. There's not a great love of the arts, so there aren't as many avenues. Yeah. If you're in America, well, you know, there's Adult Swim. There's all these other yes. avenues that a weirdo can go down. You know, whereas not so much here. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's it's definitely a crushing realization early on, and because there's not many, there's there's. <sighs> You know, a young comic will collect a series of parental figures. Yes. Older comics that know the lay of the land. But it's almost like you need an induction where someone stands there and goes, okay, you're going to get dragged into a whole lot of shit fighting and bitching. Maybe don't join in. You yeah. know, just realize this is all part of it. And- but, but you know what's funny about that is mm. because you're young and you're having a good time, you won't listen. And then not. you'll do all of those things. Mm. And then the person that you'll end up resenting is the person who tried to show you the way, which I've found with some younger comics that I've worked with in the past mm. by being really honest about things and trying to give them what I didn't have. Mm. I don't really talk to those people anymore mm. because they kind of look at me now as if, oh, well, you didn't amount to... Yeah, right. Enough. And yeah, it's right. like, yeah, but you made all the mistakes I told you not to make. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the classic thing of youth as well. You yeah. Know, you have to fuck up yourself before you can kind of self-reflect. And, yeah. Um, you know, I get that. It's, uh, you know, it's a, it's, it's a tricky... And it's it's a tricky path to walk down, and then because it's Australia and we have a small population, and we have people in charge who lack a curiosity for the rest of the world, mm. and like to promote an aggressive mediocrity, <laughs> it means that if you are even just a little bit different, like, yeah. and you, you don't even have to be much different. Yeah. But you can just be a little bit mm-hmm. different outside of the box. And mm-hmm. because there aren't those other opportunities, mm-hmm. of course, this level of bitterness of course. begins to churn away. Mm. That was one of the reasons why I stepped out of the comedy scene uh, for a long time as well, because I just was starting to go through another cycle of, of you know, new comics come along, the scene gets... Uh, uh, an influx mm-hmm. of new ideas and mm-hmm. new approaches. The scene rises. It reinvigorates the headliners. Everything's really good. Then some of the young comics move on to they... bigger and better things, yeah. and the people who are left behind are in two categories. One, they're wrapped because this is great. Or two, why'd he get that job? Why is she getting that opportunity? And then it starts all over again. And I've been through that cycle in Adelaide a few times. I've been in that cycle in Melbourne a few times. And by the time I moved to Sydney, I refused to be a part of that cycle. And any time I've seen it starting to rear its ugly head, I decide, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to hobbit the shit up and come back to this place and ride it out. Yeah, Because when I go and do... The craft. Yes. I love it. And I really enjoy it. Of and course. I'm good at it. Yes. But I don't need to be a part of that stuff. And I and I think I think this movie yeah. has two characters mm. which we'll get into uh, a little bit later, those separate characters yeah. represent sides of an art form that we recognise mm. and don't like. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think I think the key is to do and it's so hard when you're especially if you're performing because it's so much of it is about the reciprocal feedback loop between you and the audience and also your peers and all the rest but it's a thing that I've never really figured out how to do in the long term I can do it from gig to gig if I'm not gigging much but how to do it purely for yourself yeah without the need of approval of the audience and that's not to say that you go out there and take a big shit on stage and start hurling it at people like Gigi Allen you don't do that it's not about actively trying to upset or disappoint the audience but through truly doing it in an egoless way you get the end result that you actually want but that's a that's a crazy trick to try and pull off and it's yeah that's that's really hard trying to be true to yourself Mm. and entertain people in a way that they want Mm mm-hmm and especially now with the ubiquity of stand-up specials yep. on Netflix and YouTube yep. and all over the place, yep. what that means is essentially a lot of the same types of stuff get filmed so then people think that's what it is. That's what it is, and yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not. Comedy is yeah. really fascinating and it's, yeah. it's, and it's lots of things. Of course. And the best comedy, like all the best artists, that great Alan Moore quote of like, you know, you have to give the audience what they uh, need – not what they want. Yeah. And what they need and what they want are two very different things. Right. And it's your job as the artist to give them what they need. I mean, Nanette was a great example of that. Oh, yeah. You know, had Nanette not happened at the exact moment that it happened, would yeah. it have penetrated as hard as it did? Right. But it 
had that impact because that's what the audience needed. They didn't know they needed that. Yeah. But it came along and, you know, it filled a, it filled a void that was, um, you know, huge. Ha- Hannah shot an arrow at a bullseye that was still getting made and yeah. nobody knew he was getting made. Yeah. And then just as it was like, hey, we've got this bullseye here. What Ding! the fuck? <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Uh, so there's, there's a moment uh, in the movie which kind of builds on some of the stuff we were talking about where they, they, they attack the magician who is not trying big ideas because they've, they've reached a level of fame. And now mm. they're doing really safe stuff. Yes. Is this the uh, the uh, the magician played by Ricky Jay? Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, so one of my squid bits, in case anyone <laughs> didn't know. I had a feeling you'd know. Anyway, and so they, they attack this magician for not trying bigger things and not pushing himself. And yeah. I wonder, do you think this is just a throwaway line or is this – a young Christopher Nolan sending a challenge to himself in the future to... Oh, yeah, of course. When you get further into your career, yeah. keep striving to yeah. make new and interesting work. Yeah, don't rest on your laurels. Because that, that, that's definitely something that... Uh, I mean, I, I was definitely guilty of that in the first few years of my stand-up career. You know, standing at the back and like, eh, this fucking eh, hack piece of shit... I'm so I know, much it's better. so funny. Like you were so angry for so long, and I was like, I just like you were never angry with me. No, and, like you never, you weren't angry before. And then sometimes I'd be sitting out the back, and I'd think, what the fuck is happening over here? Yeah. Like, what are you doing, Ben? You're lovely. Stop it. Yeah, stop yeah. it. I think you're hanging out with the wrong people. I didn't but say it's that. Also, but I, I do think that's also a product of fear. It's the fear yes. of you know maybe I'm maybe I'm not good. Maybe yeah. I'm a hack. You know, maybe people are. You know, saying this about me when I'm up there. Yeah. You know, and then also, as you just said with the Nolan thing, you know, maybe it's you telling yourself, like, don't get complacent. Yeah. You know, a big thing that I that used to upset me when I first started comedy was seeing someone do beat for beat, word for word, the same joke yeah. for years on end. Like, way, and, you know, I mean, it's the old hat conceit. You know, people were doing fucking vanilla ice and Titanic jokes in... 2009 and it's like bro like yeah. a titanic joke yeah i mean you're referencing a movie that was made in 1996 and a disaster that happened in 1914 like let's fucking surely something funny's happened since then or just like if you want to keep the like if the routine's killer just update it like uh, you yeah. know you'd see it with like tv shows wouldn't you it's yeah. like anyway we were sitting down we were watching beverly hills 90210 no you weren't yeah, yeah. <laughs> no you weren't you weren't doing that last night because i haven't been on, on tv for 15 years yeah, yeah 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 but i do think there is something to nolan you know kind of um threading that in there as a as a warning to his future self well it's it's funny isn't it because in many ways people would say uh, part of what i think makes this a real success is that people watch Memento mm. and it's confusing. Hang mm. on, how does this work? But Memento is actually, once you clock what's going on, very straightforward. Linear. So what you get is, uh, and then Insomnia is a little bit... So, by the way, I've decided that Insomnia Batman begins in the prestige. I'm now calling this... Nolan's Misty trilogy because there's mist all the way through all three of them. That's great. And the it's interesting. So Insomnia, there's this little trickery with you keep seeing all the footage of the person cleaning the blood and you automatically think mm. it's Robin Williams but mm. it's Al Pacino. Mm. Then Batman begins, you know, once again, in many ways, a linear film, mm. but that first half is bouncing back and forth yep. between the death and the train, even the training 
is bouncing back and forth. Yep. And in many ways, I feel like this is his biggest success because this has double narration. Yeah. It has timelines that bounce all over the place. It has two characters who have dual identities mm-hmm. who then often take on different identities. Yeah, multiple. Yeah. It has a dual argument in the world of science with Tesla yeah. as they have with uh, in, yeah, in the magic world. Yeah, yeah. And somehow I think this movie, like, if you said to people, this is really complicated, they'd go, no, it makes sense. Like, it starts here and ends there. No, I would say, uh, narrative-wise, it's his tricksiest, most... Conf- it's it's the one that I really... Even though I've seen it multiple times, not right. as much as the others, but it's the one, even in this rewatch, where I had to, co- like, watch it. Really? Right. Well, yeah. I mean, like, you know, the, 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 it, within the first five minutes, you've got... Christian Bale reading a diary that then turns into Hugh Jackman narrating, reminiscing about something that happened before all the events that we've previously said. It's like a flashback yeah. within a... It's like, you know, it's almost their proto-inception. It's a flashback within a flashback within a flashback. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but did, did, did you find it... Uh, so, I, I never found... Like, even the first time I saw it, I didn't like it. I found it really easy to follow. Oh, yeah, I didn't find it confusing. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's just more that you have to pay attention. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah definitely, yeah. yeah. But I was, I'm was i just saying, like, you can... I, I reckon you can have people pay attention to Memento and then say, what do you think? And they go, fuck, I had no idea what was happening. Yeah, that's but, true, yeah, But yeah, yeah. this is much more complicated. Yes. And if you pay attention, you get to the end and you go, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree with that. Yeah, I, yeah. Think, I think Memento in particular is so um, unlike anything else. I don't know another movie that moves backwards. Yeah. That I think even by the time... I found in myself with Memento, I was fucking my own head up more by just going, wait, am I am I across all this? Right. And if I just gone, oh, no, you're across it. It's moving backwards. It's yeah. fine. Yeah, you're but, okay. Yeah, 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 you're fine. You got it. But, you know, it's that. Whereas I think because the prestige seems to move, you know, forward through times, despite there being lots of jumping around and flashbacks and stuff, there yeah. is a driving narrative force going forward. So it is easier to follow in that sense. Yeah. Let, um, I've got some more questions about uh, artistic uh, approach, etc. But let, let me let's just give everyone a bit of a break, and I'll ask you some uh, mm. just simple questions. Yeah, sure. Which twin is the father of the daughter? Is it Alfred or Freddie? I always assumed it was the wait. Uh, Freddie is the aggressive twin who's not in love with Sarah. Sure, I think it's the one that's in love with Sarah. Yeah, it's Alfred, isn't it? You would hope so. Yeah, <laughs> because I, I I had a moment when I wrote that question down. I was like, Jesus has what? God, I hope it's not the other one. And then there is a. I think what happens is I think Sarah tells Freddie because the first thing Freddie says is, "Ah, oh, we should have told old mate." Ah, and 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 right. that and he was Alfred at that point. Yeah, right. I didn't pick up on that. Yeah, yes, yes, sure. Yeah, I mean, I mean, herein lies some of my kind of moral issues with the film. Um, I mean, clearly the two brothers are both sleeping with uh, the wife and Scarlett Johansson's character. Right. Um, well, you know, like part of poor Sarah's. Uh, yeah life is i wonder like i wonder if 
Freddie is. Like maybe Freddie doesn't. So then what that means is, yeah. and by the way, this is not saying that's better. Mm. What that means is this poor woman sometimes has a husband who's all over her and then sometimes has a husband who doesn't want to have sex with her. That would actually probably track a lot better, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, because he does seem to have like almost an open disdain for her. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, you know, and you know I'm not a triggered person or, you know, anything like that, but I was watching it going, whoa, this is the most fucked up gaslighting I've ever seen in my oh, life. Oh, yeah. Like, I get a commitment to the act, but you don't have to, like, surely you can just Mate, be like, like hey, he- man, that guy's me and that's my twin and, like, I, I won't... Bring her in. For- yeah. Bring her in. Like, you're Or I'd force you to have sex with my brother. <laughs> yeah, just, just sometimes hold hands with him and then yeah. when we get indoors, I'll take off the... The mask and the yeah, plugs, totally. and you know everything will be normal. And this is this is for the act. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like you showed, you sh- he he showed the bullet catch. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Show this one, and the, the, you know this is this kind of said something about you know oh, here I am saying let's not get let's not do heavy shit for every question, well. but this is um, what what does it say about artists who can't be satisfied? Like, is it a common trait in artists to destroy those around them while they strive for an ideal that is mostly beyond their reach? But also, when they grasp it, satisfaction's fleeting. Absolutely. Absolutely. I was saying to you before we turned the mic on, um, I was a bartender at the Sydney Comedy Store for about a year before I ever yeah. did com- uh, stand-up. And I was lucky enough to meet two or three comedian, American comedians that I'd worshipped all through my teens. You know, and they were guys that I really looked up to as a young person. Like, holy shit, if you could just hit that level of talent and prestige, yep. uh, you know, surely you'd be happy. Yeah. And they were all the most miserable, <laughs> empty fucking assholes I've ever met. Yeah, yeah. Just so bitter and, you know... Um, I remember one of them saying to me, you know, oh, you just get to a stage where, you know, yeah, sure, you can sell out a room, but you're just angry that the, the guy the week before you got picked up from the airport in a limo and all you got picked up was with, with, with a Range Rover. Yeah. Like, really? Really? Like, really? Yeah. But you realise in that moment, you know, you are who you are. Yeah. And, you know, the success is not going to make you more full or more happy. Yeah. Might temporarily, when they're all on their feet cheering. Yeah. But ultimately, yeah, I think... Um, yeah, if you're, that, empty, if you're you, empty, you'll empty up pretty quick. Yeah, and I almost feel like the monomaniacal pursuit of success in any field, to me, and I'm sure there's exceptions to it, but to me, denotes something of an of an emptiness in the individual. Yeah, like an absence of something else. Yeah, yeah. like, you know, it, it, it was a great realisation for me once I fully assimilated it to realize, oh, you know what? I don't actually need a room full of strangers clapping and laughing for me to feel like I'm not a piece of shit. Right. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? It's, um, it was quite a freeing moment. But then, know? you know, there's the, you know, get taking this back to comedy and, 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 you know, the, the way these guys talk about some of these magicians, mm. maybe some of these people that are perceived as average mm. and don't, try to swing for the fences every time maybe they do have that thing that a lot of maniacal people are missing which is i've gotten to this point and i'm really happy yeah. and i'm happy to be this person and it's almost it's almost like these characters and people in real life are affronted by that mm. what why aren't you continuing yeah. to strive for more yeah what does that say about you but what they when they ask that question they're saying what does that say about me yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, 
<laughs> there's something that I, I I don't listen to it much anymore, but there was something Mark Maron said on one of his podcasts years ago. He was talking about him and some other comic were reminiscing about a guy that used to be big in the 80s. Yeah. And now he's like, you know, oh, whatever. He's got a family or, he, you know. And Maron was like, doesn't it just warm your heart where you hear about someone when they just got out of it? They just got out and they're happy. Like, they're not yeah. destitute, but they just they just got out. They yeah. escaped it. You know, and, and there was that real yearning for a life where you don't need this anymore. Yeah. Uh, Tom Gleason and I, once at the Adelaide Fringe, remember Nish? Huh. Remember Nish really kind of came along, started, like, really kicking goals, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, was touring yeah. with the, the Wogs Out of Work guys, was yeah, doing the... Right. Uh, was on... Have you been paying... No, um... The impro show. The, the knock on the door show. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, knock yeah, on the door. Yeah. Big fan. And um, <laughs> and we were talking to him at the Adelaide Fringe and he was just like, you know what, I, like, I make heaps of money from like working the stock market and yeah. I, I, like, I really get more out of my portfolio and, you know, who wants to be doing these kinds of shows? And Tom and I were like, this is amazing. Like, ascended it, master. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like... <laughs> After we, after we stopped talking to him, Gleason and I were talking about him in glowing terms. Yeah. And like sometimes we'd mention it to other comics at night and the comics would be dismissive of it, but we were like, man, that's amazing. Like yeah, We're, yeah, we're yeah. really into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, by the way, the, uh, like, the creepy duplicity is so... There, there's, there's, two, there's two points that are no return points for me mm-hmm. with the characters, even... You know, as people. Mm-hmm. One is when either Alfred or Freddie takes Sarah on a date and, say, and says, can I come in for a cup of tea? And she says, oh, no, not now. You say, oh, do you think that'll be able to hold me back? And then the other one's in there yeah. and she laughs. And I'm like, mate, that is fucking insane. Mm. You insane assholes. You've obviously said, Alfred, oh, I really like her and I'd like to win her over. And Freddie said, I've got a great idea yeah. for a trick. <laughs> And it's like, that is awful. Like, that's such an awful moment. And yep. even though, and I'll get into this in a sec, even though I like Alfred more than I like Freddie, yeah. because I think Alfred is, I think he's the purest. Yeah. He's the purest about the craft. Yeah. And Freddie is a purist, but he's the judgmental purist who thinks everyone's an arsehole. Whereas, you know, Alfred will go, I think Alfred is the one that goes with Angie to watch the little old Asian man doing yes, his yes, trick yes. and is fascinated by it. But Freddie would be like, fuck that guy. It's a trick, you know? Maybe Freddie is more obsessed. Maybe Alfred is more obsessed with the craft. Yeah. And Freddie is more obsessed with the deception. Yes. Mm. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Yes. Great. Mm. Yeah, I love it. And the, the turning point for me with Angia is, you know, there's that moment where he's got the diary and... Johansson's character's like, oh, we're going to have to uh, take that back. And he's like, don't you see, I've got this, I've got his diary now. I can work out how he's done this trick. And uh, she says, you know, it's not going to bring your wife back. And he says, I don't care about my wife. Mm. And it's like, oh, mm. you know what? I think I think you did, yeah, but I don't think you do now. Yeah. And yeah. that yeah. to me is the turning point where you go, well, mm. I can't mm. really barrack for you. Yeah. Like I can't completely be on your side yeah. but but one of the things that i find fascinating about the the m- movie 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Is that when the characters are hanging out, I think there's I don't think and this might be something that you don't like. Mm. I don't think the movie asks you to take sides. I think it oh. it, it, it kind of looks at them. Slightly dispassionately. Yeah. And I think the magicians are neither good or evil, but I think they're consumed. And yeah. that's and that's what makes them extremely flawed. Yeah, consumed and willing to compromise. Yeah. And the compromise leads to more and more absurd and obscene compromises which yeah. all culminates in the end where it's you know just flat out framing for murder and murder uh, of your own self you know yeah. it's um yeah and i think that's what it is i think it's the indictment of you know compromise and and um monomaniacal focus and yeah. ambition and all these things but yeah I, I i agree when you first meet them they're just two proteges yeah just hanging out wanting to be good at a craft yeah who know? are into it yeah you know yeah and one of them wants to do it because they like watching an audience's reaction the other ones yeah. like doing it because they believe in the craft yeah absolutely and then and immediately they're at loggerheads because yeah, of that. yeah 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 so i guess the movie is more of a exploration also of you know that journey from yeah. you know the, the, the first kind of rumblings of wanting to get into something and yeah. then, you know, where that can lead. Yeah. Hmm. I could I could understand if someone said that they don't like... You know, I think Nolan is sometimes criticised for making very masculine movies. Mm. And uh, I think this is... While I have seen some of this type of attitude and approach play out, say, in the comedy world with some women, it is very much also an open mic male... Oh yeah, vibe going oh, yeah. on. Definitely, uh, I I think this might be one of Christian Bale's most underrated performances because you can tell the difference between Absolutely. Alfred and Freddie. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, 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 yeah. This time it was very interesting watching it uh, and really taking note of which yeah. version I'm watching. Yeah. In any given scene. But yeah, no, absolutely. Very subtle little differences. Yeah. I think they become more pronounced and obvious as the film goes on. Right. Especially as he gains more contempt for Anna and all that yeah. kind of stuff. It's like, oh, you're clearly the, you know, evil brother or whatever you want to call him. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's it's a great performance. There's some there's somehow like he just kind of like I'd love to know if there was I, I don't think there's anything done with the cameras or that, but sometimes he just kinda looks softer when mm. he's Alfred. And, you know, I think mm. that's probably because he is a great actor. It's all in the eyebrows and the brow. Oh yeah. Furrowed brow. Yeah. You know, um underrated Michael Caine performance as well. Mm. And and who's 
who side is Cutter on? It, like, if he were a D&D character, he'd be lawful neutral. And, uh, and in many ways, I think he's... In many ways, I don't think... Watching the two men play off each other... Yeah. ...is... Is the bit that you can't relate to, but I think he's the heart of the movie. Like it's yeah. like it's like the dad watching his wayward children, yeah, devour each other, and yeah. he can't quite get a handle on it. What well, am I? Am I correct in thinking that his allegiances flip based yeah. on how egregious? A crime committed by one or the other was. So he turns yes. on so Christian he, Bale. Well, when, he defends Borden to begin with, yeah, because of how good he is in technique and feels yes. that there's something there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he turns on him when Angie's wife is killed. About the knot, which is also, a, a, there's a little, there is a little fascinating moment mm. when that happens mm. because Angie's wife gives him the knot. Absolutely. Which is, yeah. which is funny because it's, she's complicit in the knot stuff and it looks like he was going to tie the other knot. Yes. Yeah, and yeah, it's no, also, she makes eye contact with, and it's quite, um, it's quite a familiar look she gives him. Yeah. It's not just, you know, that it, 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 the look that she gives him suggests, I'm not saying they have a, uh, they're having an affair or a sexual relationship, but no. there's an affection there. That, yeah. There's um, an intimacy. Yeah. There's of an some intimacy. Sort. Yeah. yeah. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And it's, uh, yeah. it's easy to miss, I reckon. Yeah. No, but it's there. It's very, yeah. Uh, but yeah. And then Cutter is, then after that happens, he, he cannot, just can't reconcile it. And then he's going to work with Angia. Yeah. But as soon as, as soon as he realizes that he's set up Borden and, and yeah. is take and even worse, taking the little girl. Yeah. Then. Yeah. Then he turns. Well, and turns in in a way that basically endorses uh, the murder of Angia. Yeah. The flat out cold blooded murder of him. Um, so when does Cutter realize that Borden is twins? Because he has to know he's a twin at the end. Mm, yeah, there's not a scene where you see him get told that information, do you? No. So I wonder um, yeah. when he... So the way I've kind of reconciled it in my head is that... And I, I, I actually don't think you need to see it. Mm. But it was just because, you know, re-watching it, you, start, yeah, yeah, you yeah. have these questions. And I think there must be... When he realises what's gone down, I can't, I can't believe I haven't written down the... Uh, the Borden's other person that he plays. Anyway, uh, when he realises what's going down, he goes and sees him and I, I would say, well, here's a little trick for you. Abracadabra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Holy shit, you were twins the whole time. Yeah. Which is also what the fuck he was saying all the way through the... Yeah, absolutely. Through the, it's a double. It's a double. It's yeah. a double. It's a double, which also mm. tells you about... You know, Hugh Jackman just being in, incapable of accepting it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, a, um, it, it, it's definitely a... Because I think Michael Caine plays, you know, kind of father-slash-grandfather figure in quite yeah. a lot of movies. There's a real humanity to his performance in this one. There's a lot of pain. Yeah. And it's kind of right there the whole time. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I think in the end, the reason he turns on... Um, fuck, what can I ever remember the name? It's Hugh Jackman's character. Angier. Is or that Lord Coldwell. Lord Coldwell. Yeah. Um, is that he resents being betrayed 
but yep. also as the designer of tricks yep. resents being tricked like that. Yes. You know, in such a diabolical way. Yeah, for for also diabolical reasons. Mm. Like you won. Like you, you put him out of business. Yeah. Like that is yep. that should be your victory. Yeah. Yeah. But you had to take it <laughs> one step further <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then set him up for murder because of your yeah. wife that you don't even care about anymore. Yeah. Like, you, you did it out of spite. Yeah, 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 yeah. And killed yourself. Yeah, I mean, how many performances did you do? 100 performances? Oh, my God. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> the, the, well, that was going to be one of my questions. Which performance is this? How many yeah. does he kill? Yeah, I, I mean, well, there's a lot of boxes at the end. There's a lot so of we gotta, boxes. So we got to assume we're, you know, a few dozen in. Yeah, I, yeah. I was, I was thinking there's no way... So, you know, Borden, the professor would have kept going for a little bit, mm-hmm. watched numbers dwindle, then they would have had that conversation and where Alfred says to Freddie, don't go, yeah. let it go, we're done. Yeah. Which is also, yeah. you know, that's their, that's their niche moment. You can get out, mate. <laughs> you can get out. Guess <laughs> what you can do? It's right there. You can, you, you can date someone mm-hmm. and I can be sad yeah. with, my, that, with my child. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah. now... You know, this is this is why I don't necessarily think there is a victory at the end because mm. he gets the little girl, but he's lost his wife, who he did love, yeah. and he's lost his brother, who he has an incredible uh, connection with. Yeah. And so now, and he doesn't have an act of the craft that he loved. Yeah. So you know, he's got a tough life ahead of him as That's well. That's true. Uh... Like it's like he's still alive and he gets the daughter. Yeah. But out of the three. The two brothers and Angia, he's probably the least arsehole That's true. But for me... <laughs> yeah, I don't know. What a, what a, what a, me, what a sell. <laughs> Put that for on me, the- it always returns back to that, like, oh, bro, like, how long were you married to you? Like, that little girl's, like, seven years old. It's oh, like for yeah. seven years, your yeah, fucking yeah. brother was oh, boning yeah. your wife? Well, probably not. Come on, man. Yeah, like, the it's... whole thing, like, I don't know, to, 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 to get to that point, and I think that's one of the, the most humanistic um, performance of the film, is the despair of the wife Yeah, uh, oh, towards I, the end. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Rebecca Hall is unbelievable in yeah. this, and really, you know, if, I guess... Maybe maybe Michael Caine isn't the heart and soul of this. I think maybe she's the heart and soul. Yeah. And he is he's more the intellectual Yeah, sure, the brain uh, of yeah, the brains of the operation. Of yeah, 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 I know yeah. I'm kind of mixing things, but it's like he he brings uh yeah, it it's it, she is such a great character and I think she's really well realized and but I think the performance yeah. elevates it to another level. And she's the only one that's unequivocally stating how demented this fucking thing is. Like, this, yeah. is, this isn't a game. This is, like, driven me to suicide. Yeah. This is madness. Whereas, also, you can have this silly trick. You yeah. Know, it's, you Whereas Johansson is a, a survivor. Like, yeah. she, she gets dicked around, but she calls... Angie are out on it, mm-hmm. and then when she gets dicked around again, she's just like, you know what, I'm out. And she walks away. And she walks away. Yeah, absolutely. And she's probably, you know, succeeding quite well somewhere. Yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, the so, oh, do, do you reckon Sarah ever really cottons on to what's happening? Do, do you think that she starts to suspect they might be two people? Yeah, 
Yeah, I, I read it this time as as uh, maybe she doesn't know exactly what's going on, but she yeah. knows there's some, you know, because the the mood the mood swings are so dramatic by the end that you would have to think that your husband was mentally ill, yeah, or had a personality disorder or yeah. something like you know he Back goes at a time when I, I don't think that stuff was really. Uh, you know, didn't have names for the, yeah. those kind of things, but you know, there's never a suggestion that she's like, "Well, bro, you're crazy." Yeah, like, what are you? You know, I mean, I think it's all in that uh, line where she says, "You know, today, uh, today you love me." Yeah, uh, and it's not good because oh, it, well, yeah. early on, it's like, yeah. oh, today you mean it, so it, it, it's important." It's you, very today, sweet. Today you don't mean it, so it means even more when you do mean it. Yeah. But after all these years, now it's hard to take. Yeah, when. yeah, yeah, yeah. And that feeling of being trapped in a relationship, I'm sure most people have experienced this, where, you know, you every relationship, unless you've known the person for years, every relationship is fraught because you don't know the person. Yeah. And you're essentially handing them your heart and going, oh, can you hold on to that for me? Don't drop yeah. it. It'll really yeah. hurt if you do. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's where a lot of the anxiety and the fear of falling in love and all that comes from. But I think we've all experienced that thing where you're, you know, months or years into a thing and you suddenly realize that you don't know this person yeah. as well as you thought you did. Or, you know, or you're you're seeing the full kind of, you know, prismatic effect of them. There's multiple angles. Yeah. Um, and then that feeling of being trapped with someone that you don't necessarily know. Yeah. Um, I think she expresses the grief and the fear of that really well. Yeah. Are you? What do you think of Scarlett Johansson in this? I, I quite like Scarlett. Yeah, she's but great. It's, um, yeah, she's fine. I guess she's probably not in it long enough to yeah. get quite the handle on her, I guess. Um, yeah. It might be probably the most, you know, the the, the, the shallowest of roles yeah, in the I movie. Yeah. But I think she does a really good job yeah. with that. And I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm a fan of hers. Yeah, yeah. So th- this is the two-part question that I had to you that I was really looking forward to asking. One of the underrated aspects of the movie is that it has many levels of competition from the obvious and the battle of egos amongst the magicians, uh, etc. But it also has two others. So the first thing I want to talk to you about is this is class warfare where mm. Angia comes from money and the Borden twins obviously come from nothing. Mm-hmm. So in asking, in bringing that up, does that does that shift any allegiances in how you feel about the characters? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, not at all? Not really. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm a big proponent of I really don't care who you are, where you're from, what you are. Are you a cool person or are you an asshole? And if you're a cool person, we can hang out. If you're an asshole, I, uh, you know... I, 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 not to harp on about it. For me, with the Bordens, it always just goes back to that deception with the wife, where it's yeah, like, for sure. whatever, whatever other redeeming qualities you two have as yeah. performers or humans, the fact that you could keep such a deception going for so many years, yeah, I would say that is on par with anything Angie does. Yeah. Um. So for me, they're all equally fallen people. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think you're right. I I think you're just probably a better person than me because he <laughs> because he come Hugh Jackman comes from money. I think well, fuck that guy, <laughs> fuck that guy. These, this dude's working really hard, and you know what? No, if things don't work out, I'll just go back and have a little moustache. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like there is a there's there's quite a famous comedian that I was a, a fan of who oh, I yeah. found out came from money, and then I was like, oh yeah, easy to be fucking artistic when you own a yeah. house. <laughs> 
<laughs> but that's my hang-up. When you've got a massive pile of cash as oh, your safety yeah, look net, at, you look fuck. At me, look at me trying new ideas. You know, try new ideas and be afforded a sandwich anyway. Like that's, <laughs> that's me being an arsehole. So... Uh, when I was thinking about it as a class warfare thing, I did definitely cited on the Bordens. But the flip side, mm. the second question mm. is, this is also a debate about craftsmanship yeah. over giving the audience what they want. Yeah. So the Bordens, in many ways, are purists in the craft. But Angier wants to see the look of joy and amazement in his audience's mm. eyes. Mm-hmm. So how does that make you feel? Because I think you're a purist. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And well, when we've taught, like... <laughs> I hope you don't mind me bringing this no, up because it's made me laugh so much oh, since we last go. week. But when we were talking about <laughs> comedy coming back yeah, and uh, you went to a venue that normally is a little bit more avant-garde mm-hmm. and people were up there Very doing raw. jokes and you, you said to me, they were, <laughs> they were just up on the stage going, uh-huh, 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 and, <laughs> and it was making you angry. And then we talked about Frages and I said, how's it going with the audience? And you went, it was going fucking great. And it made me laugh so much. <laughs> yeah, they were loving it. Well, loving fuck it. them. Yeah, well, fuck them. So does that? So does that? Like you know? Yeah, taking, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I, I, you know, if you want to keep going with the comedy metaphor, I would say that uh, the Bordens are definitely what they lack in stagecraft. They make up for in the purity. And yes. for me, in comedy, I think I would always rather watch an interesting, maybe not mess. Yeah. You know, they've still got to be funny. Yeah. They've still got to have talent. Yeah. But maybe scrappier and rawer yeah. and more like humanity. I like seeing someone bleed on stage a bit yeah. and, you know, show something of themselves. Yeah. I like, I love that moment in comedy where you are halfway through, you're watching someone do a bit and you're like, oh, this isn't a joke. This is real. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's funny. It's not to say that it's, you know, you're freaking out or yeah. sad or whatever but it's like oh this this person's not fucking around they're yeah. really bearing their soul as opposed to you know i mean michael mcintyre is the great easy one to go to where you know it's you know it's all lights and he's striding up and down the stage and everything is in this perfect clip yeah. and that's not to say that there isn't merit to that but for my personal taste yeah i would rather uh, you know I'm, I'm more into the kind of you know who are you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know what's funny is like it, it even. Uh, mm. I, I hope people don't mind us drawing all these parallels with the, the comedy oh, world, but I feel like it's so. I've always used magic as a metaphor for comedy. Yeah, like it's, it's you know it's um, when you see the professor performing in that little pub and everyone's yelling at him. He's the comedian yeah. who doesn't know to like smile while you say yeah. a joke. Like he's really serious, putting the rings together, whereas. You know, it took me about ten years to realise. Yeah, you can get much further yeah. with a with hey a guys. smile. You can say the darkest shit, yeah. and you know that's, that's like that's yeah. the underrated brilliance of Tom Gleason. Yeah, like you never like when he's saying stuff. If you're watching him, he's got that look in his eyes to say, mm. "This is uh, this is pretty fun, isn't it?" Yeah, like, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm having a little dig here. How do you feel about it? Yeah, and it, but imagine if Gleason said some really serious, like said all of that, but oh, just yeah. said it with a scowl. You'd be like. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I mean, it's something you It'd actually be. said it to me very early on uh, when I first started. You know, you got to, you, you, you know, you, you, your eyes are all fucking furrowed and oh, you're yeah. ranting and railing and yeah. then you're wondering why no one's laughing. And it's yeah. like, because some unhinged fucking maniac yelling at the audience. Yeah. Just flash them a little smile now and then and you'll yeah. get away with everything. Let them know. Some of these are gags. Yeah, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm in on the joke. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm aware. I am playing a character. Yeah. This isn't the totality of who I am. You know, I like ranting on stage and mm. I know that when a rant hasn't really 
connected is mm. because I've forgotten to yeah. keep Wink keep a lightness to it. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, I would like you to uh, be incredibly impressed with me that at it's taken me nearly an hour to mm. bring up Dad. Is <laughs> is is David Bowie's entrance the greatest entrance it's up there fantastic. with like it's up there with <laughs> like after watching it again and I, like I know it's coming and you sit there and you you've been hearing about Tesla yeah. for the whole thing and then when he finally appears I I'm, I'm going to put this out there mm. it's up there with the first time you saw Darth Vader in Star Wars <laughs> <laughs> All the electricity crackling, <laughs> walking through, and yeah. you know, like, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh yeah, no, this, yeah, this is Tesla, yeah, <laughs> this yeah, is yeah, him. yeah, 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 and he is the purest artist in yeah. the whole film. Yeah, he, I feel, is what the magicians are aspiring to be: creation right. for the sake of creation, right? Uh, and you know, I don't think that it's a coincidence beyond him being some great scientific genius of his age. I yeah. don't think it's a coincidence that he was chosen because he was one of the great unrecognized technologists slash artists yeah. slash inventors of his age. Yeah, you know, I think was, there's still stuff that people go, well, how does this work? Yeah, completely ahead yeah. of his time and just, you know, doing stuff that people didn't even have language for and so was just very easily dismissed. Yeah. You know, whereas Edison, we don't re- you get a little bit into the Edison stuff yeah. um, in the film, but, you know... Edison was a master of the press. Edison was a master of marketing himself, which goes back to all of the stuff we were talking about earlier about, you know, the purity of the form versus, you know, being able to, you know, put your brand out there. Yeah. yeah. Um, So I think thematically that character is perfect for this film. Would have been great if Edison turned up and he was played by Elton John. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Thomas Elton. Uh, uh, I think there's... um, I remembered it at the time, but I actually haven't watched this for a while. And the <laughs> some real humour in Bowie's performance mm. as well. Like you mm. know, there's times when he just like holds a look for a little bit longer, mm. and uh, yeah, uh, like you get the exact amount of time you yeah. need with him. But I would have been wrapped for more of him and Andy Circus as well. You want the Tesla spin-off movie? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I want to. You know, I want to. I want to. You know what I would have made? I would have made the Fugitive, but it's it's Tesla and and Andy Circus uh, yeah. on the run. You know, <laughs> trying to clear their name while throwing electricity around and being chased. <laughs> Andy Circus is he's he's great because he's working yeah. with this brilliant scientist. Yeah, but he totally buys into Angie's act. You knew every person. Yeah object in their in their pocket and yeah. because he is the guy mm. who wants to be amazed yeah he doesn't want totally. to know he yeah, wants yeah, to be yeah. amazed that's why he's yeah. working with tesla i want to be amazed yeah and believes in magic because yeah. you know you could assume that he doesn't really understand how tesla's doing all this stuff yeah so he's captivated by the you know by the magic of it all and there's there's two little things there's two little aspects to andy's performance that mm. i think are fantastic mm. one is well, he's he's obviously funny, but there's a bit of a darkness to him, yeah. which is a bit like, I don't quite know where I stand with this guy, but I wonder if that darkness is he's seen some shit, so that's why he's being a little bit careful with Andrew. Do you know what I mean? But there's something yeah. extra. I, I read it as like the Igor to the Dr. Frankenstein. Right. You know, the right. kind of the loyal servant who keeps the cards close to the chest. I have something very exciting to tell you in Squid Bits Great. Uh, that uh, relates to that, so remember that. Um, but also, he gets really upset when Tesla's going to work, like, try to transport the cat. Yeah. And, it, and you know, it's like, yeah, yeah, oh, well, yeah. that's just, it's such a, like, 
for a movie that's really tricky, there's mm. lots of little touches here and there mm. that just flesh out characters, and I think that's a yeah. that's a nice well that's a nice little tick to for you to go. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm on his side. I think the the, the 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 little flourishes of humanity that you see from different characters are yeah. a lot more noticeable in this because there is a coldness to the the leads. Yeah. And it's funny, isn't it, that Tesla says, you know, let let go of your obsession. It can't lead to any good. And, you know, Andrew's like, yeah, but look what you're doing. Mm. And it's like, yeah, he's on the fucking run trying to get money from anyone to help him continue his obsession. And and what happens at the end? His place gets attacked and burnt down and Mm. he has to go on the run again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, these these men and their drive Mm. can't be told. Just can't be told. Yeah, do you, I mean, do you think that there can be any good to come from like that kind of full blown obsession? Well, I, you know, if you if you can't find a way to balance it, mm. like, so you know, let's say, you know, let's use maybe David Bowie as a, an example, since we're talking about him and I think about him constantly. <laughs> I, uh, you know, early on in his career, he's making brilliant brilliant groundbreaking albums but he nearly kills himself Mm. you know with Mm. his drug addiction and Mm. everything to excess and has to kind of go and sort himself out then he kind of reaches a new level of popularity and that dilutes his obsession and then he's he's lost for a while Mm. but what he does is when he marries a man and gets his life balanced he then makes a whole lot of albums that while not what will never reach what he reached in his youth are still albums that even if they're dismissed have had songs used in mm. movies and he toured and he was much happier mm. and in the end even with death looming made one of his greatest mm. albums mm. so but he had to go through a lot to yeah. and have a you know have have some setbacks and yeah. so i i i'm mate you know you know, maybe someone like Tom Hanks, maybe Meryl Streep. Yeah, let's go, Meryl Streep. Always yeah, sure. made, uh, you know, has never really compromised. Makes movies that she wants to make. Mm. Has a family. Been married to the same guy for decades. Yeah, that's true. Raised, you know, three daughters. Yeah, you know. So yeah. maybe you can, but you just need to make sure that you are balancing it correctly again i think it goes back to you know who were you before yeah you got all that stuff yeah you know um and if you were a relatively stable person you know that had your priorities kind of um spread out a bit yeah but i mean making it is already such an impossible thing yeah but to make it and to hold on to your humanity and to not be kind of lost in your own myth and all the rest yeah that's a fucking, you know, I mean, that's a one in a million shot. That's the magic trick. Yeah. yeah right? Yeah. Yeah. What parallels would you draw between, if any, the, the uh, I think you've probably actually answered this, uh, the between the Borden and Angia and Tesla Edison uh, oh, combo? Yeah. So, I, think, I think what I said before. Yeah. That, um, I think. Uh, Edison is maybe more invested in the performance and Tesla is more invested in the craft. Well, you know, it's funny, like, asking you this question and and sort of realising that you'd kind of already answered it, but also Mm. it's like, 
Edison is trying to destroy Tesla and of course Angie like that, that didn't even occur to me. Yeah, yeah, I hadn't yeah. really thought of that before until yeah. then either. So it's it's kind of fascinating, yeah. isn't it? Um, so I've got some fun questions for you. Um, would you like to see Hugh Jackman reprise his greatest role of Gerald Root, the alcoholic double, in an ongoing series of movies? <laughs> I I think that is such an underrated performance by Jackman. Like, the false teeth are fucking fantastic. I think he's really funny. Yeah. He's obviously having a fucking ball. Yeah. And what I would love is to have a series. This is how I would do Like, I got so excited to share this with you. I would have a series of movies that would all be different genres, but he's only in it for like 20 minutes at a time and he always turns up and kind of fucks things. <laughs> <laughs> the look on his face when he's going up the escalator as he gives oh, a little, little wave is oh, fantastic. Yeah. Wonderful. He's, he's so... <laughs> Jackman... There's there's a couple of times when Jackman gets angry that I don't quite buy. Mm. Um, but that is a minor quibble. Mm. The uh, But when he plays... <laughs> Root and he's he's still flamboyant, but he's a little bit more flamboyant, yeah, and he's yeah, just yeah. he's not he's not too stumbly. I love it when he wrestles himself and he gets <laughs> he's such an asshole, but he's he's great. Like you know, when he gets the beer ball for him, oh, what do I uh, owe the pleasure of this? Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a campness to the performance that's fantastic. You know, you know the 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 guy who books the rooms hates comedians, and obviously, oh, he's a bloody actor. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of funny meta commentary going on about yeah. different types of performances. Yeah. Here's a question. So, I we, because I've been doing lots of online stuff, and there's just some stuff that comes up that I've never really thought, but I'm just going to throw. And I. They're just funny questions yeah, sure, to me. Sure, sure. Was Borden a clone or were there always two brothers? Because he did have the Tesla notes in his diary and that's what sends him on the way. And he, yeah. Or I, I don't think that. Uh, yeah. I, I think what happens is they're both at that, uh, you know, Science display show. that goes yeah. wrong. Yeah. Borden clocks how obsessed Angier is, deliberately writes it in, sends him on a wild goose chase. Sure. Never realising that Tesla actually was brilliant and could build something like that. Yeah. I I think there's there's a couple of points to suggest that he's not a clone. One would be that it's a surprise to Tesla and his assistant when the hats and the cats reappear outside of the place. So clearly they've never done this before. Yes. Uh, Also, the personalities are so different between Freddie and um, uh, Alfie. Yeah. Um, I would assume if you're a clone, your personality stays the same. Yes. Uh, And also they have a connection that is obviously decades in the making. In the making, yeah. 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 They've obviously made this plan. Yeah. A long time yep. ago. Yeah. It's a really good point about the uh, the hats and the cats. Mm. Uh, by the way, that's opening. Beautiful. Shot. Yeah. Yep. We see that, in a way, uh, echoed in Dunkirk with the helmets. On of course. The beach. Yeah, yeah. yeah, of course. Watching the, the Nolan movies mm. in closer proximity, it's like, oh, there's... Yeah. You know, you pick up on these little parallels, yeah, etc. Yeah, yeah. And and once again, you know, the Misty trilogy. You yeah. know, there's so much mist in <laughs> yeah, these. Yeah. Uh, it's like by the time he gets to the Dark Knight, he's like, no more mist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just blue lights. <laughs> yep. Um, who do you think 
Angier initially killed the first time he did the trick? Did he kill himself or did he kill the clone? Like, or did the clone? You, this you know is I mean? a hard. This is a thing. I, I think he kills himself. Yeah, because, because there's a moment where he says, "No, wait, I'm." Yeah, because he kills the clone. He shoots the first clone. A question that I have for you that is related to this: when he falls in that water box, yeah, he almost seems surprised, right? Or is he just struggling against the fact that he's drowning and he's like, "Oh fuck, what have I done?" But did did you read it as that when he plunges in that water, he's like scratching at the glass as though he didn't know that this was going to happen, and it's like you you had to have known it was going to happen because you're the one. Doing did it. it to yourself the night before. And so night what? Before that. So is the metaphor? I'm willing to do this because I think I'm the one who is yeah. the person who takes the bow, and I don't care about the clone. Yeah. And but if the clone goes up there, and that's him that drops in, he's like, oh no. But the clone, but the clone, but the clone is me, so it doesn't matter. Right. So that is it's fucked, fucked up. up. It's- <laughs> Fucked up, man. Like, I love that bit of the movie. Just, like, the implication of that, of, like, you know, you're willing to... Well, I'm willing to do this. literally willing to drown yourself... A hundred times. A hundred times over. And not even... And I think he even maybe even mentions that towards the end of, like, you know, uh, his his, yeah. his perplexing, perplexity over who was going to come out. Like, yeah. was it him or was it, you know... Yeah, when when Borden says you were never prepared to make sacrifices, yeah. like, mate, I don't know if I'm me. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know... I don't know, <laughs> yeah, you crazy funny. asshole. Yeah, and, and probably, and you know, that is a wider commentary on you know the 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 uh, you know success and making it. And it's like, do you lose yourself? Do yeah. you even know who you are anymore? You know yeah. what what is what is you and what is the act? Yeah, I mean, on a very minor scale, I experienced that through comedy in the early years. You know, I was constantly rewarded and told I was great whenever I was ranting and raving. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, by five, six years in, it was like, well, I don't even know if I'm angry about this thing that I'm railing about, but everyone seems to think it's delightful and funny. So yeah. I guess that's who I am now, the angry guy. And it's like, well, you don't even like, are you? Yeah. Or are you just so lost in this character that you're playing that you don't even, can't even separate the two anymore? You know, you take, uh, it's the... Are, you can you can accidentally take the act off stage. Fuck yeah, and that is incredibly dangerous. Yeah, uh, we've seen it happen to uh, lots of people where they've uh, lost their way yeah. in very serious ways. Absolutely. I mean, I think this is happening on a on a a, a world level now with Trump. Oh yeah, I really believe that. I, yeah. I believe that he has spent so long in front of a camera for decades. He doesn't even know who the fuck he is anymore. Yeah, who's you know, because I mean, you, you see interviews with people that have known him for decades, and they talk about pre-presidency that he was always off stage, kind of acknowledged, "Oh yeah, I'm playing Trump for yeah. the cameras." Yeah. Whereas now he's on camera twenty four seven, so it's yeah. like, well, are you even playing well, the character anymore? Is this the scourge of social media, yeah. which uh, means we have billions of people who are putting on an act who, yeah. when they aren't online, yeah. Don't know who the fuck they are in yeah. the lounge rooms. Well, this is the thing, you know, uh, do, you, do you remember the Logan Paul controversy from a few years oh, ago? Oh, yeah, I do, actually. When he, uh, for anyone that doesn't know Logan Paul, that isn't 16 years old, he's a YouTuber, just awful. By the way, I'm wrapped if someone's 16 into this podcast. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Anyone, any 16-year-old listening to this podcast probably avoids like Logan Paul by the plague. Yeah. I think he had his day. But anyway, he's a dude bro that films himself doing everything, and he went to a... 
uh, forest in Japan that's called the Suicide Forest, yeah. and they stumbled across a dead body hanging from a tree. Uh, and you watch the video. And he filmed it. And he and, filmed and it. And uploaded it. And uploaded it. So he had plenty of time to consider what he was doing. But it's a fascinating piece of footage because I, I think this was his like 800th blo- vlog in a row, right. daily vlog in a row. So he hasn't had a day off. Right. And you're suddenly confronted with something that should make you, you know, completely melt down. You've yeah. seen a dead body hanging from a tree. Yeah. And you see, I mean, maybe I'm projecting, but you watch the footage and you see the moment where he doesn't know what his genuine reaction is as yeah. a human being, just as a human being, separate from character, separate from the camera. What is your, and he doesn't know. And so he just defaults into, whoa, oh yeah. my God, whoa, I'm freaking out. Yeah. And it's actually quite a tragic, I mean, beyond the fact that there's a dead body hanging from a tree, that in itself obviously is very tragic. But to see a young man who clearly can't have an authentic human reaction to something right. that's very disturbing because he's on, he's on, yeah. he's just on camera. Well, you know, like it's, it's, it's a very uh, understandable situation to be to not know what to do when you come across something like that. Mm-hmm. And if he didn't have the camera on, yeah, or just turn the camera off, turn, turn it off. or have that moment and turn the camera off and think, I, I Sorry, what was I doing? Let's yeah. delete that and not worry about it. Yeah, I don't it. need to upload that to my 10 million teenage fucking subscribers. It's just... And, um, you know, like that, that guy had this level of fame that mm. is not understandable to certain generations mm-hmm. and above, which is YouTube fame, mm. which is massive, yet nobody knows who you are. Yeah. And it's, yeah. It, it goes quickly because it's not a pop song that can be... Yeah. Played by someone else, and it's yeah. not a movie that you can find later. Yeah. It's yeah. a moment in time that yeah. Very once fickle. people move on, yeah. you're done. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 Man, it's such a. <laughs> I, I know some people. It, it's funny because this film, I, you know, I've read some criticisms where people don't like that it gets. has a science fiction bent towards mm. the end and find the clones to be a cop out. Mm. But. You know, all, all the way through, the film's kind of, it's a period piece. At at the start, it feels like a horror movie yep. with the blind helpers. Yep. And, yep. you know, for a, for a long time, the first time I saw this, and I'd forgotten this feeling until this recent rewatch, I wondered if there was something supernatural going on. And it was because of the red ball. And ah. I was thinking, has he made a, is the red ball like a duel with the devil or, or some yeah, supernatural? Yeah, sure, sure. So, you know, for it to be a, a science fiction, it, it still works for me because <laughs> it's it's like, when I say it's like real science, it's not real science as in in the real world, but it works like real science where often things happen by accident. Yeah. You know, you, you're trying something out and then you go, oh, fuck, I've made penicillin. Yeah, of you course. Know? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so it's like, oh, I'm trying to make this guy go from there to there. And now I've got heaps of cats. <laughs> and it also feeds into that very famous Arthur C. Clarke quote, you know, the um, uh, any any technology, uh, I can't, I'm, I'm going to butcher it. No, what yeah, it? but it's a, it's that uh, any advanced technology would look like magic yeah, to the... to those who don't understand standard. how it works. Yeah. yeah. So another question for you, a, a, a few, just a couple more. Mm-hmm. Um, why didn't Angie just make one copy and keep doing the act? Of course. Well, I, 
Is it because he shot the first one and then he had a taste for his own blood? <laughs> <laughs> it's the it's the the, the, the self loathing of the performer manifest. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Look, I think it's, to me, you know, when when I say I don't like this movie very much, it, it, it's it it. it the aspect of the clones is actually something that I very much like. Right. Uh, and I think that what it metaphorically represents is profound. I feel like you're saying, I don't enjoy this movie. Mm. It's not saying it's not a good movie. I'm yeah, just yeah. saying I just don't enjoy it compared to other things where I can... Yeah, it's not something that I like, you know, oh, got to do my annual rewatch of The Prestige. Yeah. Like, it's... And I, and, I, and I said this to you off mic, you know, uh, it's still relentlessly entertaining. Yeah. It wasn't an ordeal to watch. I don't no. dislike it. I think it's just it it, it it doesn't doesn't do that thing for me. Whatever. Yeah. But I enjoy it. But I'm loving talking about it. Yeah. And it's all the fun. and all the there's a lot of like I said earlier, a lot of meat on the bone to discuss. So why do you think he didn't just make one I- clone? Because <sighs> I, I guess the trick. He wants to do the trick, and he wants to be better than Borden, doesn't he? Yeah. And to do the trick, he has to make a clone. Yeah. And he doesn't know if he's the clone or the clone's the clone. Well, then is it also that, you know, he doesn't want to share the uh, the accolades with another version of himself? It's oh, got to yeah. be one. Yeah. It's got to be one of me. Can't, can't share it. Oh, he's the worst. He's the worst. Isn't he? <laughs> you know what? The actor's much nicer. <laughs> I'd rather kill myself. I'd rather kill a version of myself than divide <laughs> the applause in half. Uh, Oh, man. Um, is there a possibility... I saw this on Reddit. Is there a possibility the machine never worked? Because there's this thing where, you know, you, you know, the last bit of narration is, you know, you, the trick's right in front of you, but you don't want to be tricked and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So there's some people who are saying that the machine never worked, that Tesla was left him a broken machine. Yeah. And... Angie actually reunited with the actor Root and actually was doing the performance uh-huh. like Borden was. Yeah. But that's actually Root being dropped. And the reason that people think that, that... That's why he's in shock, because that's actually the first time. Yeah, that, right. But the reason... So in the past, he's just been dropping into water. Mm-hmm. But this time when it locks, people think that the reason it's the actor because he can kick against Warren. He has a He has a limp and he shouldn't be able to kick... But I reckon that I don't like. What do you think? I reckon the machine is real. Yeah, and, so do I. And that Reddit likes to, you know, hang on to tiny little things and turn them into big things, which is always interesting in yeah. terms of fan theorizing. Yeah, yeah. But I for think sure. the I think the the machine being real, the fact that he's cloning himself and killing himself over and over and over again, is actually the key to understanding his character yes. and the wider theme of the yes. film. Yes, yes. Him, uh, him killing yeah. a, a shitty actor. Yeah, it's, it, that diminishes the point that that whole yeah. thing is trying to make. And almost makes him a hero. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and finally, this was my favourite question to ask you now, and uh, you know, you'll know it's coming. Uh, Could you turn this into an ongoing TV series? The Prestige? Yeah. Yeah, sure, why not? Well, you know, so uh, once again... You could probably knock a couple of seasons out of it, and one of the, one of the things that I thought in like Insomnia feels like it could have been like a True Detective eight mm. part series. Yep. This feels like maybe you could get two or three seasons out of it because what I would actually like to see mm. is more of their successes. And I, 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 this is something that I've kind of noticed with Nolan, and I would say this about the Dark Knight trilogy as mm. well. I would love that to have been 
a five season run, yeah. like with all of the, all of the beats. But mm. I'd like to see him being successful more, and I would like to have seen these guys. Like I'd like to have seen a few episodes, like half a se- like if you had eight episodes a season for three seasons, mm. like imagine. Uh, like four or five episodes of the professor really nailing it. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, and also scenes with you know where you're not trying to bury the twist anymore, where you're actually getting scenes with the two brothers interacting with each other. Oh yeah, like yeah, long yeah. scenes, dialogue scenes, and the conflict and it, all the rest. It, well, I wonder if that's like that would be the end of your first season, wouldn't it? You'd right. reveal that they're twins, yeah. and no one else knows. So then that yeah. means for the second season, as an audience member, you're in. On it. Totally, totally. And then where does the second season go? The second season would go to Angie finally, like Tesla on the run. His thing, like that'd be a big action episode. <laughs> Tesla, you know, Andy Circus going full golem and shooting saving. lightning out of a travelling stagecoach. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. oh, be so good. <laughs> and then, uh, and then Angie returning. Yeah, and he said, "I've got a trick for you." End of the season. Oh no, I have to wait fifteen months for the next season. This is bullshit. <laughs> then there's the pandemic. Now we're sitting here. Oh god, I hope we yeah, get yeah, back yeah. to making it. <laughs> anyway, um, but a three a three season yeah absolutely. arc would be fucking great because yeah, totally. it would also fit in with the you could make it fit in with the the magic the breakdown of the magic yeah, trick. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. I haven't really gone into any of that stuff because I feel like that's the stuff that people obviously go into yeah, yeah, yeah. after reading things. Yeah, and yeah. it's not that I'm ignoring it for any other reason other than there's heaps it's of stuff done. out there and yeah, there's yeah. more fun. Do, do you like magic? Uh, as Johnson. an art form? Yeah, yeah. I know you love Magic Johnson, but do you like magic as an art form? Uh, if you've got to think about it, the answer is probably no. But I don't dislike it. I love magic so right. much. I love it. I'm such a sucker for magic. Yeah, it's like I, the, I think it's impressive. Oh. Like I, I like a, you know someone who can do oh. things that you just go. I know that's a trick, but yeah, 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 yeah. How do you do that? Like, and that that childish, that childlike moment. There's been so many times when I'm watching magic where, and clearly I know it's a trick. Yeah, but I can't. My brain doesn't. My, I have a very illogical brain in the real world. Yeah, uh, and so there is always that part of my brain that just surrenders and goes. Well, I guess it's just magic. Yeah. I guess you just did make it disappear. Yeah. I'm not into people giving away the tricks. Yeah, no. Um, I, I, like, there's just something churlish about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and as they say in the movie, the, the trick is always like, oh, well, then it's, yeah, that's obvious. Yeah. You just, you know, sleight of hand. Well, even, oh, that reminds me of a scene where it's like, mm. you know, it's the nice Alfred talking mm. to the little boy and he's fucking intense to that little boy. Mm. Never tell them the trick. You're like, mate, he is six. <laughs> just chill the Just relax. Out. Just they won't lie you if you tell them the trick. You're Jesus, <laughs> oh, my God. God. Dude. So, Bale's fantastic at this. Yeah. Um, so here's some squid bits. Now yeah. you have one as well. Do you want to, do you like, do you want to, can I, can I tell you just in case yeah, you do have yeah, it? Yeah, Cause yeah, I love yeah. it so much. Yeah. Okay. So it's about the Chinese magician. Do you have a squid bit about the Chinese magician? Uh, I don't think so. Fuck yes. Yes. Great. Great. Yes. I'm excited. Okay. So not many people know this, but the, uh, the Chinese magician who is pretending to be very ancient yep. so that he can keep his act going is based on a real person, a real magician oh, from the right. Victorian era. Right. His real name was William Ellsworth Campbell. And for many decades, he played a character called Chung Lin Su. Oh, great. A magician from the Mystic East. And for many decades in London, people were convinced 
that this man was a, an old Chinese man, really. He was a young to middle-aged Caucasian man. Right. In makeup, doing the whole thing. And it was, as it is depicted in The Prestige, it was a 24-hour-a-day act. Yep. He would walk to and from the theatre as yep. a hobbled old man. His wife was in it, yep. in on it. She would play a Chinese lady. Yeah. Very un PC. Well, I was about to say, but, like, you know, <laughs> hardcore yellow face. But on, on 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 the one side, in 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 this current climate, he is in a lot of trouble. Yeah. On the other side, he might get a role in Cloud Atlas. <laughs> <laughs> so he played this role for a long time, and you know how he was undone in the end. No, it was a bullet catch, and someone did the very thing that they talk about in the Prestige, where they stuck a penny or a button right. in the thing. He was shot for real. And in his English voice on stage went, he shot me. And suddenly the whole act fell apart. And everyone was like, oh my God, Uh, this guy was playing an old Chinese man the whole time. So that character is in many ways a a blueprint for both Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was a real guy. Uh, Yeah, like I said, Chung Lin Su. Could you imagine? All of that's fantastic. Thank you for bringing that. That is so good. (laughs) I... Can you imagine being in the audience? The poor guy gets shot, and then suddenly you're like, "My God, he! I can't believe he was shot." I know, and he was in so much pain. He just sounded like us. <laughs> but apparently, it all it all collapsed in very, very quickly. Like suddenly, everyone was like, "Oh wait, he's not talking in his normal voice." Oh wait, he's not actually Chinese. Oh wait, he's not an old man. And the whole thing, you know, yeah. came out. Yeah, and he died on stage. Spreads his legs. A- Fucking goldfish bowl falls down. <laughs> he stands up straight, and he oh, and he died. He, did, he died. Oh. Yeah, 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 he died. Yeah. When you said it fell apart quickly, I do. I thought, oh, and then his act was over. It's like, well, everything. No, 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 was everything. Over. Yeah, no, his consciousness fell apart very quickly. Oh my god! <laughs> so I wonder why the so the person being a smartass, being possibly racist. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Could have just been a you know. That's great. Yeah, great really, story, huh? You know, I don't even feel like reading the rest out. I wish we'd finished on that one. That was fantastic. Um. So here's a. This is taking a bit of the edge off. Poor Sarah's final scene, hanging in Borden's workshop, has her mirroring the birds that are sacrificed for the sake of the ah, careers. Of course, you know she's. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, was, it was really kind of oh, mm. <laughs> like when you. It's always been sad, but kind of realizing the imagery that goes with it. Yeah. Uh, People probably know this, but I'll throw it out there anyway. Uh, Nolan wanted David Bowie to play Tesla because he needed someone with extraordinary charisma. So if you're not going to have someone in the movie for a long time, when you see them walking through lightning, Mm -hmm. you know, can't have Ben Affleck. You need someone who's going to go, oh, Jesus Christ. It's fucking Bowie, and he looks great. He looks great. And since... so, as uh, Nolan says, the role is small but important. When he appears bathed in lightning, you need to be dazzled immediately. Mm. And it's it's almost like it's 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 stunt uh, casting mm-hmm. because you need in normally you never want to be taken out of the movie, but when you get taken out of the movie, you want it to be oh fuck yeah, it's David Bowie. Like yeah. it, like it's actually clever stunt. No, absolutely, casting. and someone of equal kind of. Um you know, ambiguity and kind of... And also, you know, did things on his own yeah. merits and was off to it, you know, sometimes yeah, yeah, yeah. succeeding, sometimes not succeeding. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bowie at first said no, but Christopher Nolan flew to New York to pitch him the role and told him nobody else could play the part and Bowie accepted after a few minutes. How much do you wish you were there? Yeah, great uh, meeting. Dad, like, this guy's great. You should do it. <laughs> like, just, just tell Dad again. 
And can can we all hang out? Um, Andy Circus is a big Bowie fan and said that he was enjoyable to work with and described him as unassuming, down to earth, very at ease with himself and also funny. Yeah. Just imagine that. They must have had some great times waiting for scenes to be set up. Like acting is, <laughs> you know, so much waiting around and then yeah. but you're like, oh, God, I can't believe how long this scene's taking. So, Diamond Dogs. Um <laughs> So this is the thing that I said to you earlier that you will really appreciate about Andy Serkis and the, his approach to the character. His character, Mr. Alley, mm. he played him as if he was once a great corporation man who was so amazed by the maverick Tesla, he jumped ship to team up with him. Ah, so that's his, great. That's what he's bringing to the performance. Fantastic. He also saw his character, and you will like this, mm. as a mirror image of what Cutter was to the other magicians. Right. Great. So, yep. um, Ricky Jay was Milton the Magician, who employs the two leads mm-hmm. at the beginning of their mm-hmm. careers. He also helped in their training in the roles. Oh, really? Yep. Yeah. I love Ricky Jay. And he was just kind of showing them enough. Do you uh-huh. know what I mean? So yeah. they could do things. But also, like, good on him for being, like, imagine being, hey, we want to cast you as a comedian, but you're a hack and you're going to accidentally kill someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, Ricky like, Jay's got a great sense of humor. Yeah. I mean, he, he shows up in a bunch of Paul Thomas Anderson movies. Yes. He's oh, the yeah, cameraman he in yeah. Boogie Nights. Yes. Um, and he's in Magnolia as well. Yep. I haven't watched Magnolia in a long time. Fuck Maybe we should do a Paul Thomas Anderson run after this. Dude, I will be there. Yeah. I will be there. Magnolia is one of the great formative films of my entire life. Yeah. I must have watched that two dozen times. That Love that movie. Uh, Christian Bale got the role because he contacted Nolan about the part. So Nolan hadn't even considered yeah, right. him, even though they just made Batman Begins. Yeah, right. And then Bale got in touch with him and then... Was it just, I want to work with you again? Yeah, I think he saw the script and was like, and Nolan was like, oh, yeah, and then couldn't think of anyone but yeah, great. Bale. Yeah. When, when did you realise that they were twins? Like, I know a lot of people say, as soon as I saw him up there in the stands with the little girl, I knew that was Christian Bale. And I'm like, I... I I, I I don't necessarily believe you. I don't believe and that. And B... Because it's not even Bale in makeup. It's a different actor. With the... Yeah, with the... the, the, the uh, what, sorry, what's the name of the conciliere? Oh, I, I've drawn a... I'm, you know what, I'm going to look at this don't believe But I don't believe that that's Christian Bale in makeup. Yeah. I think that's a completely different actor. Is it? Uh... I, I look pretty closely just because it was... Oh, I couldn't tell it was... It, I didn't think it is Christian Bale. So anyone that's saying that they clocked that that was Christian Bale is full of shit, I think. Yeah. like, And also, like, good on you for just working out a nice twist in a movie that made you not enjoy it as much. Mm. You uh, arsehole, <laughs> whoever you are. I don't know. I don't even really have someone uh. in mind. Uh, hang on. I'm just... Uh, um, did it, uh, uh, where is it? Ah, oh, so anyway, you know what? Like everyone knows what it is. I just, I just forgot to write that down because there's so many different um, characters, and it's like anyway. Uh, so you will appreciate this. Christopher Priest, the author of the novel the movie is based on, said he enjoyed the adaptation. But apart from the prestige and memento, he hates Nolan's movies. Really? He thinks they're embarrassing, that he shouldn't attempt to add psychological realism to the character of Batman, that those movies are boring, his kids are bored in them, they're not as good as Iron Man and the Avengers, and what? he is 
so pretentious. He should stop trying to be Stanley Kubrick and he should instead aim to be Alfred Hitchcock. Whoa, brother! <laughs> Relax. And he was in in this thing. He was saying embarrassing. And he was and he was saying, like, I'm sorry. That's just how I feel. And okay. it's like, mate, guess what? I've got your book there, and I've had it for like four years, and I haven't watched uh, read it because you know why? Because <laughs> the movie's really good. And I, you know why? Everyone's entitled to their own opinion. But I'm never going to read your book now. <laughs> in fact, I'm not even. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do something I would never do. I'm going to throw it away. I'm going to throw it away. How do you feel about yeah, that? Yeah, burn a book. That's yep, good. Yeah, I'm 47, and I'm a grown up. And go fuck yourself, you pieces of shit. It's it's. I mean, you know, sure, everyone's entitled to their opinion. I don't understand how Nolan could make you that angry. Well, so you know, like, so I understand that Michael Bay might make someone that. I mean, even that, that it's like, oh, whatever. Those movies aren't for you, but to get that aggressive, it's well, so, like, bro, so chill out. So I wrote this down, and I wasn't like, I wasn't going Fallon, Fallon, Fallon. Fuck's sake! Can we Fallon. check if Fallon is played by Christian Bale? He is. He is. Well, yeah. Like so that's that's, def- that's some fucking great makeup because I was really staring at his face trying to figure it out, and I couldn't. Yeah, um, but. Um, so, I, so I'd written down this thing because I've been doing all this, you know, research and, um, you know, you just come across some stuff that is, uh, you know, stuff that you avoid mm. normally because <laughs> you're trying to find bits and pieces yeah, yeah, yeah. to talk about on the podcast. Yeah. But I find it amazing that, like, if you're not a big Nolan fan, of course, like, that's like, of course, yeah. like all jokes aside, of course you're allowed to yeah, be incorrect in your taste. <laughs> uh, sorry, I can't help myself. But anyway, the um, <laughs> all jokes aside, of course you're allowed to not like him. But the thing is, is that there is this real aggressive nastiness, and I don't know if this pertains to other uh, directors like this, where people really go him. Like they really go in. Like yeah. he's a fucking asshole. Yeah. Like, and it's like I think. So I'm confused as to why he engenders this response. Now, is it because there are some Nolan fans of which people might accuse me mm. of, like that take it too far? Mm. Like I, I would like to think that I'm pretty funny <laughs> with it. Like I know where my fandom goes. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't care if people don't like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like, I, like, I was rapt that people didn't like The Dark Knight Rises yeah. and Interstellar as much because that meant I was kind of, like, getting him back to me. You yeah, know, yeah, I, was, yeah, sure. I was really annoyed by The Dark Knight Inception because yeah, now yeah. I'm stuck with people that I don't respect yeah, yeah, telling yeah, yeah. me their opinions. Oh, no, I've let myself go again. <laughs> but, um, but, the, uh, but to me, he just makes movies where he is genuinely trying to entertain people. And yeah. he's trying to just add something yeah, that yeah, lets yeah. you enjoy it more than once. Yeah, I think when the, the the vitriol is in response to the level of success and the level of fan appreciation. Yeah. You know, it's like when the... Uh, when, back to Paul Thomas Anderson for a second, but when The Master came out... Oh, uh, yeah. You know, I read some vicious reviews of that movie and it seemed to be that the reviews were responding more to the lionization of Paul Thomas Anderson than the movie that was being reviewed. Right. Um, and I think that's, that's probably what it is. I think it's what, what, you know, people 
it's that old thing. People love to cut down someone more than they love to raise them up, or they yeah, like to raise yeah. them up just to cut them down. You know. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think that's that. That's pretty much all it is. Well, it's it's funny because I I so I have a. I wonder if there's a mild form of racism, which is if he was American with an with a full on American accent, he would be considered a genius. But because he's English, there's this sense of oh, here we go, one of these English people coming over here, and then he's being successful. Yeah. And what's funny to me is like I've watched heaps of interviews with him. Yeah. He loves the Avengers movies. Yeah, like he's he lo- great. like he, he loves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a fan yeah, yeah, of yeah. stuff. He's yeah. he, he's fine. Yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. he's probably fine with this shit that's being said about him. And I don't know why I'm getting upset. But anyway, it just annoyed me. I think it's just the level of su- I think it's the <laughs> level of success. Yeah, because there's not what what other modern filmmaker really has that level of success. Not just um, critical, but commercial as well. Yeah, I mean Tarantino movies don't make what Anywhere Nolan near. movies make. Yeah, so I think it's just that. I think it's just you know people want to fucking throw rocks at the big guy. Yeah, there's a there's a picture that I there's a picture where early on in the movie where it kind of looks like that. Christian Bale, uh, Borden is sitting next to, that's at the 11 minute mark of the prestige where oh. it kind of looks like, you know, the two brothers, but that, anyway, I just, I just find it difficult to think that anyone like, I'm not saying that you couldn't pick up that that was Christian Bale, but I think the makeup's really good. And, and, uh, yeah. I, I honestly, yeah. I didn't, I, I honestly thought it was a different actor. Yeah. Playing um, the, the assistant. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, finally, the song that plays at the end is Tom York's Analyze. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I know that album pretty well and uh, I know I like that song a lot. And so I was listening to it over the weekend and my interpretation of it, like just trying to listen to it without the movie is my interpretation is it's lyrically about letting go of who you think you should be in the world because while you're so busy wondering and worrying, you're missing out on the real beauty that's in front of you. And that's my interpretation. But yeah. then and knowing that I was then going to watch the movie uh, and then re-watching it, it was like, oh, yeah, I can see how yeah. this kind of fits in. It's it's strange. Like, There's only a couple of um, movies that he just has music play at the end and mm. it's Memento, Memento and this yeah. Yeah. and it's David Bowie and Tom York and mm. it just says to me, why are we just not hanging out? Yeah. And I'll, <laughs> you know what? I'll prove my friendship credentials by going and beating <laughs> up Christopher Priest. Yeah, great. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that fucking Christopher Nolan has not spent a minute thinking about Christopher oh, yeah, Priest. Not at all. Like, yeah. he's, got, he's got some other things yeah, on his mind. He's making movies. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to get Tenet out and trying to save cinema. <laughs> Meanwhile, there I am at the door knocking on it here. Uh, G'day, it's Hamo. And this head here is Christopher Priest. I'll teach him not to like the Dark Knight. Anyway. Security. Security. <laughs> so uh, so that kind of brings us to the end of the Misty Trilogy. Mm. And I think uh, this brings us to the end of Nolan as the director to keep an eye on. Because yeah. now... We're about to launch into The Dark Knight, which yeah. announces him to the world and I think probably puts him on a different road, which lends Definitely. itself to Definitely. these people who adore and despise. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it'd be interesting to uh, to see what we can get out of this that uh, hasn't already been said. But uh, I look forward to 
Thank you to Rebecca Melrose and Ben Elwood for being my guests today. A reminder to head over to our Facebook page and share your thoughts on the prestige and what you'd like to experience in our Trophy Night Impro segment. We should have the link to the Big Squid Live show up on the Facebook page or my Twitter handle soon, so please keep an eye out for that. Uh, the Big Squid page is easy to find on Facebook and you can find me on Twitter at JustinHamilton underscore or you can even find me over at Instagram as Justin Hamilton Comedian. Or if you want to avoid all of that stuff, head over to my site, justinhamilton.com.au. Have I mentioned my name enough? God, that really ended up being quite a lot, didn't it? Numbers will be limited for this live show, so if you're keen to get on board, uh, please uh, purchase your tickets early. Uh, If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a top review on the platforms you use, especially as people are still getting used to this podcast going from a seasonal show to a weekly production. They're getting there. It's good. We're, We're slowly building, and I'm feeling really positive about the direction that we're all moving in together. Uh, Just as a little heads up, I've picked up a short producing contract for the next month, Uh, so until I know how the schedule plays out, uh, we might experience new podcasts on a different day to Wednesday. I know I've been pretty consistent keeping them on the Wednesday, but I don't know what the schedule is, so maybe next week you might get it earlier in the week, or it might be a little bit later, but I'll keep you posted as to when that's happening. I'm sorry that's... uh, you get into a rhythm with something and it's really annoying, isn't it, when a, when you have to change it. But look, to be honest, it's the first time I'm earning money since March and I am excited. I feel like a grown-up again. Oh, my Lord. Who would have ever thought earning money could just be fantastic? I tell you who's really happy is my accountant and my bank account. Actually, lots of people are happy. This is a really good thing. So anyway, so I'll be doing that for the next month. And uh, that's a a few days here and a few days there. So I'll try to keep this on schedule for you. But if it's not there on the Wednesday, have a look. Might have come out a bit earlier or a bit later, but you will still be getting a new podcast each week. Let's leave today with a quote from Brian Eno. Stop thinking about artworks as objects and start thinking about them as triggers for experiences. I hope we've helped trigger a positive experience for you today. Until then. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.